Blog Talk Radio. Colts fans, welcome to Colts Authority Radio's off-season Colts talk. I'm your host, Greg Cowan. On today's episode, Chuck Pagano is definitely fired, and then he's extended for four years. Ryan Grigson is definitely toxic, and then he's extended for three years. Grigson and Pagano can't work together, and then they're tied at the hip. We'll break down the crazy start to the Colts off-season and look ahead to what we expect at the draft and free agency and beyond. And I want to give a small note to people who may be tuning in for the first time. If you're looking for kumbaya and happy fun times, you probably won't find that. But if you're looking for something that I consider to be honest, calm, rational, logical, that's what you'll probably get. And I hope you enjoy it. And with that, I'm joined today by my third favorite person in the whole world. First and second are both my alter egos. Uh, Kyle Rodriguez. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Good, Greg. It's nice to to be back here with you, but you're uh, setting an awful high bar for us there with that introduction. <laughs> well, we haven't done a show in like nine months, so <laughs> I had I had a bunch of stuff saved up. Me too. So, um, I I think the high bar is warranted. Yeah. To be clear. So let, let's jump right into it. Actually, I had a way I wanted to go about this. I wanted to do the first act of the show, if you will as if we're approaching last Monday. So going into it, what do we expect to happen or what do we want to happen? Because things were sort of written in stone. And then as Monday played out, I think everyone after five o'clock, I guess passed, everyone had this idea that, well, it can't be what everyone had written because you don't allow Chuck Pagano to speak for 12 hours and then fire him. You just, you just put him out of his misery. So I want to go into it act, uh, talking about everything we had heard and stuff and, and processing that because I don't know if we've ever been able to do that because I think we all expected to just process it after he was fired. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think you know the this consensus was that Pagano was going to get fired. And really the question was just is, is Ryan Grigson going to go as well or is Pagano going to let him stay a lot like he did with Bill Polian back in 2001, where coaching staff was was revamped, but Polian stuck around, um, and that my that was probably what I was leaning more towards in terms of what I thought would happen. Um, uh, reports were that Grigson and Pagano work well together. That, that Grigson likes, uh, excuse me, that that uh, Grigson and Ursay work well together. That that Jim Ursay likes Ryan Grigson, um, and that Pagano's mistakes uh, this year were a little bit too much. Especially, I mean, the consensus after halfway through the season after the the fake punt against new England was, was that, okay, Pagano's gone. So, I mean, for me to go throughout the rest of the season, even with backup quarterbacks, you know, after the 50 burger to, to Jacksonville, after the blowout to Pittsburgh, I mean, really everybody thought he was gone. And, and to be honest, I think most of us, uh, most, I guess most analysts who, who follow the Colts um, closely, they thought Pagano should be gone. Um, there was a big fan movement, um, and there was a big 
uh, I think even national writers who don't necessarily watch every game, but, but know Pagano's reputation, um, thought Pagano should stay. And so you've got fans and you've got some national writers and obviously players who, who work closely with, with Pagano and Pagano is a player's coach. He's loved. Um, and so that was, that was there. But I think for the most part, those of us who watch the Colts closely with a uh, relatively, I guess, relatively reasonable point of view, I think, realize that Pagano's, you know, his mistakes and his limitations as a coach um, were harmful and that, that they were probably warranting his, his departure. I actually have a theory. I want to run this by you, but I feel like he would was going to be fired mid-season if the Jaguars can make a field goal, am I, I? I wasn't on Twitter at the time. This is just my feeling. Like, I know it was with Hasselbeck. You have to go all the way back to the beginning of the year. But the Colts would have lost to the Jaguars if they could make one of three or four. Something like the field goals are just embarrassingly bad. But I felt he was going to be fired then. And then, like he's they they win that game, and he it looks like they're going to win the division. And then, like you said. People close to, in Indianapolis felt like he should be fired. And the one thing – sorry, I asked you a question, and now I'm going to ramble on. But the one thing that really bothers me about Pagano as a coach is we're watching Sunday, last Sunday, his final – what we all think is his last game in Indianapolis. And he is the same exact person making the same exact mistakes today as he did his first year. And there's a very small sample of his first year, but he was a very conservative, ultra-conservative coach – who never once pushed the envelope. And I don't even think some things like going for it on fourth and two inside the opponent's 50 is pushing it, but he doesn't even do that. And it's like, this is your last game, and you haven't even found that bone. And I just, where's the growth as a coach? He's a rah-rah guy, and that's great, but I have not seen anything that says, okay, over the past four years, I've been faced with a certain set of circumstances and I have learned from them in this way. I have not seen any of that. And that's what concerns me. Like you can tell me great guy, great motivator, great speech. I don't great. He's all of those things, but X's and O's as far as we can tell and in-game adjustments and learning from mistakes. I have not seen any of that. Have you? No. And I think last year was probably the closest thing that we would see to growth in that area. You know, we saw him in terms of aggression, uh, a few more fourth down attempts. A few, he had the, the onside kicks, uh, a few of those throughout the year, mostly early in the year. Um, but other than that, I don't think we really saw adjustments from him in terms of the style of, of coach, whether it was X and O's, like you said, in-game adjustments, halftime adjustments. Um, halftime adjustments have been kind of the bane of this team for, for the last four years even with, with Arians on, on the team. Um, so, you know, I don't think we've really seen a lot of growth from him in, in that area. And that doesn't mean he can't be a good head coach, but I think we have to be honest about, about talking about those limitations and how they do affect the team. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's plenty of coaches out there that are, are long tenured um, that have limitations in terms of on-field coaching. But when you're a head coach, it's also, I mean, maybe more so important that you are a good manager, that you're a good leader, um, you know, that you can manage your, your assistant coaches and have put them in positions to succeed. And that's a different conversation, but I would argue that, that there's limitations in those areas as well. So doing this, if you're Ursay, knowing what, what you know, or thinking what you think, if you're Ursay, did you, do you fire Pagano then Monday? 
I would have. Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen. I just think we've seen the best of what Pagano can do. Um, you know, we you can you can make the argument that uh, you can make it. I wouldn't necessarily agree. You can make the argument that Pagano has been uh, let down, so to speak, by his his general manager at times. And we'll get to Grigson here. Um, but to me. It, my biggest thing is I don't know how you can watch every game week to week and see the decisions he's making in the game and say, this is a guy who's just held back by his general manager. No, Pagano doesn't have the best roster or the deepest roster or the one with the be- you know, with the most elite talent on it. But that doesn't, I, to me, that doesn't excuse the mistakes we see from him week to week. Um, these are mistakes that are being made regardless of what the talent is. And so, to me, that's that's the thing. I think I think we've seen uh, what Pagano can do and what it can't do, and I don't think he is um, a top tier coach uh, that can that can bring a team to a Super Bowl that that elevates his team's talent. Um, I think he could bring a team to a Super Bowl. I think especially with a general manager that um, that fit his his. Uh, general manager and personnel that fit his style better. I don't think he's the kind of guy you want coaching uh, an elite quarterback because I don't think he necessarily elevates that that quarterbacking play. If you've got a team that has a really well-rounded roster and uh, an average, medi- a mediocre quarterback that you're looking to, to elevate to get to the Super Bowl, maybe he'd fit in better there. Um, the, where That might be better where his strengths lie. Um, but for Indianapolis, I just don't think he's that great of a fit. The best I would think... Could, that could happen or his career trajectory, I guess, would be something like a dungy where you get fired and then you, you kind of think about it. But dungy went from a, from a mediocre offense to Peyton Manning. And so you could see why he adjusted there. I don't, Pagano's never going, well, probably not going to go to a better quarterback situation. So I don't know if he'll have that sort of epiphany but there's there's been almost no repercussions no he's had to face no nothing for his bad decisions except for apparently having more power now if you you have to believe what the Indianapolis media is saying you're talking about Grigson maybe not surrounding him with the pieces he wants you know Pagano says a lot of things about running the ball and stopping the run. Hasn't Grigson given him stuff, given him the pieces to run the ball and stop the run? Uh, I would say to stop the run, he has. To run the ball, maybe not so much. That offensive line, while not quite as bad as as some fans and media would have you have you think, um, it is still, I mean, not not an asset to the team by any means. Um, especially not in the run run game. And as far as running backs go, he's put a lot of resources into running backs. But, I mean, Frank Gore's the best running back, obviously, that they've had since Joseph Adai. And he's 32 and slow. Um, he, he ran well this year. I, I was, I, I think I'm really appreciative of what he gave him. And um, I think in better circumstances, it would have looked a lot better. But, um, but he's still, he's not, you know, this is definitely not going to be a team that's, that's running the ball well. Um, unless teams are just terrified of the passing game, which is kind of what they were banking on for this season. Okay, so let's talk about Grigson. I'm much more critical of people, or of Grigson than uh, other people. You have told me that you believe that after 2013, he really turned a quarter, maybe not really turned a quarter. I don't want to overstate it. I wanted them both gone, just to put that out there. And I'll get more into that when we kind of put a bow on this. But I, I felt like... You had the opportunity this year to really 
just start over. You know, luck's gone. You're getting a pick. Just start from scratch. What What do you like about Grixon? Would you have brought him back if you're Ursa? Uh, I think for me, I probably would have would have blown everything up. Um, I I understand the benefits of of keeping you know one of them or both of them for continuity's sake. I understand um, that Grixon doesn't want to be. You know the Browns like uh, you know a Browns like organization where you are having you know, turnover every year or every other year, and you don't you know you don't want to put Andrew Luck through his you know fifth offensive coordinator in seven years you know or whatever. Uh, you want to have that continuity. Um, I think for me, because of what we've seen, and just in terms of um, even if it's not necessarily toxic, you know what we've seen in terms of just disconnect in the franchise. Um, I, I think for me, I think bringing in a new new front office and everything else would have just been, this would have been a good place to start over if you were going to start over was after this year. Um, but if you were going to keep one of them, I think Gregson was really the only choice. Um, Pagano might be, I think if you're, if you're making the argument for Pagano, it's that he's a rare leader of men and that you don't find those quality. It's hard to find those qualities and that, that very well may be true and probably is. Um, but I think his other limitations were too much for this team. And I think for Gregson, uh, we've seen him make a lot of bad moves, uh, but most of those were earlier in his tenure. And like you said, uh, my viewpoint is that after 2013, Grigson learned a lot uh, that we've seen him shift tendencies, especially in terms of the running the ball, stopping the run kind of thing. We've seen him shift into seeing the passing game as, as more central, especially for this team with Andrew Luck at the helm. Uh, we saw that, especially this last off season where they poured resources into the passing game and yet, the passing game came out and, and tanked. I mean, Andrew Luck was terrible even when healthy. Um, the receivers and, and the way that the offense was constructed, I don't think, fit well. I mean, so that to me was a coaching issue, not not a, not a general manager issue. Um, and you look at, at all of Grigson's terrible moves, whether it was free agency, the draft, trades, whatever else, it all culminated in 2013. And I was with you in 2013 that Grigson, I mean, he was awful. And I think both of us got a lot of pushback from fans because the 2012 year was still on their mind. And I think now when I try and say, okay, guys, Grigson isn't actually a bottom five GM. Now I get a lot of pushback because 2013 is still on people's minds. Um, 2013 was probably one of the worst years I've ever seen from a general manager, at least in Indianapolis. I don't necessarily pay as close of attention to other teams, but in Indianapolis, that was probably the worst season I've ever seen. Um, And I mean, you had from the Richardson trade to the Werner pick uh, to the free agent busts. I mean, everything about that year was really just bad, but since then, I think he's been he's been fine. I think I mean, which isn't necessarily what you're shooting for with a general manager, but I think he's made some really good picks. He hasn't had any home runs in the draft, which is really what you usually need to kind of wash the stink off a little bit. Um, but I think he's been he's which again, it's not what you're shooting for, and that's why I think I was more team blow it up than anything else. But I think if you have to pick one, I just I don't think sticking a new coach with Pagano was going to be the way to go, or a new GM with Pagano. Excuse me. So Laura on Twitter brings up the point that Luck will still have a new offense, and I believe her point is she did or she Luck didn't work under Chudzinski at all. So from that point of view, maybe it doesn't matter too much. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a I think it's a valid point, but Chudzinski, whoever they bring in, I I don't understand why Luck wouldn't have worked under Pep Hamilton. That was the one that should have hit it out of the park. And I'm still concerned with the fact that the the general manager in 2012 spent two picks on tight ends 
and we've been through Arians, we've been through Hamilton, Chadzinski. Does anyone realize that they spent two picks on a tight end? Anyone? I like, think Arians did. Well, but okay, yeah, I guess, yeah, all right. But since well, I, the, I love Arians, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna back him. <laughs> Everything. Well, they had the a two-time coach of the year guy, and they you know, go bye. See you later. Okay. Sorry. Actually, I I would be a hypocrite if I was talking about how great Arians is because I was not his biggest fan while he was here. It was only after he was gone that I became more appreciative of him. So I don't want to act like I was on board with him while he was in Indianapolis. But you have to admit that the use of the tight end since then has been concerning. Yeah, definitely. Especially Especially since those three agents. Yeah. So... I'm trying to think of where I want to go with this next. My my concern with bringing both back is this. You sign both the two extensions now. Obviously, it's just money. That's the only thing you're losing if you fire them. But it feels like you're just pushing it back a year. Because do you really believe that the, these are four-year extensions? That, that he has any... If next year they come out and they win the division, but they lose in the first round again, and it's not a well-oiled machine. Like you, you can have a first round loss and you can be okay with things, but if it's another like nine, 10 win season, and then just a blowout loss, do you really think that they're back the year after that? No. So no, I I don't. Right. And like, to me, this is just the only, like the 1% I'm okay with this is if he looked around, he being Ursay, and he was like, uh, anything there, So I'm definitely making a move next year because I've looked into my crystal ball and I like who will be available next year better. But I don't think he has enough that much foresight, you know? What what have we seen from him that would indicate that that's the case? No. And I'm going to bag on Ursa a lot because I, I still, and nothing happened last week that's changed this, this entire... The Andrew Luck era to me is going to be marred by the fact that I believe it's totally motivated by Jim Ursay's hatred of Bill Pullian. I feel like that's the entire motivating force behind every move that Jim Ursay will ever make during this era. And it concerns me a little bit. Yeah, because Pullian was really good. <laughs> well, it's not just that. Like people, I, I've I've tried to not speak about this too much because people will be like, oh, you just want Bill Pullian back. No, I... I've I've moved on from that, but I do believe in the philosophies that Bill Pullian believes in, and I do believe in his way of team building. And to just shun those beliefs because you hate him, like that shouldn't be your motivating factor. Why don't you just prove that you could do it better than he did it? Like if you're upset that he didn't do it well enough, then find someone who's going to do it better and be like, this is what we should have done, not, you know... Dra- draft Tony Hugo. I don't know. But this whole angsty, revenge, spiteful thing just really irritates me. And I'm sorry, but Ryan Grigson hasn't had a better four-year tenure than even Bill oh, Pullian. No. If you take Bill Pullian's four worst years and put them up against Ryan Grigson, I still probably take Bill Pullian's four worst years. I think even I even if it's uh, you know less about Pullian as a, uh, personally, I think it is very... Um, just a- anti that era in general. Not because Ursay Ur- hates that era, but I think Ursay bought into the media hype of 
you know, defense wins championships and one championship in 15 years wasn't enough. Um, you know, I, I just think, I think he definitely buys into that hype listening to his comments and he's trying to build a, you know, I, the, I think the irony is he's trying to build a new England Patriots type of team from 2003 when it's 2015 and the league works very differently. Um, and so I think, you know, trying to build, uh, when you have an elite quarterback already and he, luck might not be elite, but the arrow is pointing that way. At least it was before the season. If you have that kind of quarterback, you don't, you don't build the same way as you do. If you are the pre Russell Wilson, uh, Seahawks or the San Francisco 49ers or the Patriots before Brady emerged, you, you, you build teams completely differently. And so Ursa is, I think, trying to build one of those teams because of the backlash that they received for 15 years as a as an only offense team um, that was never going to make it in the postseason. And and I think Ursa bought into that. Isn't the worst part of all of this the fact that they've totally failed in in putting forth those in what we consider flawed philosophies like they don't stop the run and they don't run the ball and they're not a defensive first team like if they were stifling Andrew Luck but they were good defensively or good running the ball at least we could say hey you had a bad idea but you executed it well now it's just you have a bad idea and you're executing it really really poorly well and I think that's where some of the disconnect comes in I mean you had as, as that's the thing that where Pagano has continued to, to kind of go with those those concepts, and Grigson hasn't. So you have a defense that I, I think the defense is, is about average, um, and that's really where they've been the last couple of years in terms of uh, advanced metrics, but we've seen them fail in big games. Uh, but you've got a defense that kind of could stop the run, but has probably the, its biggest strengths are in the secondary. Um, this year we've seen some better strengths up on the defensive line. He did a good job revamping the defensive line this year, but uh, especially offensively, we saw Grigson shift into this. All right, let's get pass catchers. Let's get, um, you know, let's sign our, our pass protecting left tackle. Let's, let's get Andrew Luck and some young receivers to grow into this lead offense. Whereas Pagano's still running and Chudzinski or Hamilton or whoever it is, is still running that. Let's be a power offense. Let's run the ball. Let's tire out the defense. I mean, all those kind of things. And the front office is is on a completely different different track. So, I think it, not only do you have you know poor execution early in in this tenure uh, of those those concepts, but then you had the front office shift from those concepts into a more pass heavy and coaching staff that didn't, and so you have a team that can't really do either. And that's where you get to you know a disastrous season, even if eight and eight doesn't seem all that bad on its face. So do you believe that what happened last week will put them on the same page any better? I don't personally think so. I think that's, you know, that's obviously the the glass half full optimistic. This is what I hope they can do viewpoint. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it could. That's the obviously that's the, you know, best case scenarios that Gregson and Pagano get on the same page. That Pagano continues to be a great leader, continues to be a great motivator, continues to, you know, to to manage his team well. Um but gets maybe assistant coaches, maybe gets coordinators, maybe whatever it is that are more on the page that Gregson in the front office is. And that's, I mean, that's the only way that this ends up working. Okay. So you mentioned 
the assistant coaches. That was the uh, kind of the other shoe to drop. Pagano, Grigson extended, and then everyone else in the organization gets fired over the course of a week. To me, to me, it felt kind of funny. You're talking about continuity. You're talking. If you listen to Jim Irsay, and you can do so without the assistance of psychotropic drugs, and you kind of filter through the stuff, it was kind of a positive message. Like he didn't look at this past season. Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. He tried to put a positive spin on it. Talked about continuity, and then said, and then they fired everyone. Does this make a difference? Like, to me, it felt really bad because you're you're basically saying Pagano and Gregson have no immediate – they don't have the closest impact on the team. It's the assistant coaches. And I, I guess that might be true. It's definitely true for Gregson. Like he, he puts it together right. and then the coaches coach. But it's, it feels like you're just removing all the responsibility from Pagano if you're basically saying every coach below him failed. Except for today, right. <laughs> he was the one who got it right. But everyone else, and Clyde Christensen. Well, did you see the photo with all the quarterbacks and Clyde afterwards? I, I think you know. I don't think so. Oh, there was a couple. I'll look for them maybe later. Anyhow, they they just look like one big happy family, and I get the sense that you don't fire family. Right. What Minuski right. needed to do was get a picture of him hugging Robert Mathis and uh, Vontae Davis, and then <laughs> and still be here. Actually, before I get your thoughts on this, I just want to add, Minuski was the one guy, and he, and I, you can do this if you really want to, go all the way back to year one of this era. We were speaking about the Tom Zbikowski era, and I specifically remember they played the Browns, and I talked about how I actually, you can look at what Minuski does, and he's super good at disguises, and actually, and this was when he had far, far less talent than they have now or had, I guess, since he's no longer with us. He, he didn't die, though, guys. It's okay. But he was really <laughs> good at what he did, and I liked a lot of what he did. And so do I think he's a great coach? No, but if I look at the entirety of the offense, of, of this coaching staff, he was the one guy I could point to and go, you know what? I can look at film, because we can do that nowadays, and I can see things that he's doing and I can understand why he's doing it and the positive effect it has on the team or on the on the play. It was coaching. I could see it. It worked. I understood it. It was good. I could point to him, and he's the only one. Like special teams. Special teams had a big improvement. Why? Because Pat McAfee became the best punter in the league. And if he didn't go to the Pro Bowl and whatever, then people are stupid. That's the entire difference in the special teams. If you look at the offense, why was the offense good when it was good? Because Andrew Luck did stuff that no other human does. But with defense, I could actually look at it and go, oh, this is what the coach was doing made sense. Perfect. And now he's gone, and I don't understand why. That would be my thoughts on the coaching staff start. Um, and I, where I have the biggest gripe is a guy like uh, like Minuski. Um, or the secondaries coach, which I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, he was one of the first guys fired too, and is one of those things. Like I can understand why uh, you know you would fire the offensive line coach, why you would fire the running backs coach, why you would fire the tight ends coach. You know those areas where we've seen uh, consistent um, underdevelopment uh, and poor usage in whether whether it was integration in the offense or whatever else. Uh, defense, really, the whole defense we've we've seen overperform um, at least 
in regards to expectations, and especially in the secondary, I think, and in, in the fact that Minuski was able to manufacture pressure from a team with one pass rusher for the last four years, um, except for 2012, maybe, with, with Franey and Hughes still there. Um, but really, this team has overperformed defensively, I think, for the last three years, and everybody likes to point at, oh, well, they, they fail in big games, and, and you know, why are they leaving Greg Toller out there? And, all, and I think all of the the complaints that you have with the defense, again, those are more personnel related than anything else. And I think, like I said, I think Grigson's been, been fine since 2013, but 2013 had a big effect on the roster. I mean, 2013 means you have Bjorn Werner who never have developed as a pass rusher. It means you have Eric Walden who has been a decent run stopper, but never, never developed as a pass rusher. And those are all remnants of that stop the run uh, mentality. And you didn't get in, you know, in 2013, they didn't go out and get a bunch of guys who could drop back in coverage. Um, 2014, they, they brought in Nicole Jackson, a guy who can't drop back into coverage. Um, they've done a good job of getting some safeties. Um, they've done a good job of getting more depth on the, on the defense, I think over the last few years, but you still have, you know, you need to, to develop these young corners like Dejon Smith. Um, so, so that Greg Toller isn't your second guy, but if you're a coach, if you're looking at that, at this from the coaching standpoint, I, uh, what are they going to do? You, you, everybody's complaining that, that Greg Toller starts every week. They have nobody. What do you, you, you can't start Darius Butler at, on the outside. We've seen that, that movie before. And it's, it's far worse than Toller. You're not going to start Smith on the outside. He has shown nothing from what we've seen. We, you're not going to start. Who's the other guy that was starting that Jaleel Brown started when Toller was hurt. I mean, that's like, that's the option that Minuski has. I don't, every, every complaint that we've seen about this defense has very little to do with, with the defense and it has to do with the fact that they don't have a pass rush for the most part and they don't have a cornerback that can start on the outside outside of, of Greg Toller. Um, these aren't these aren't coaching mistakes. Like you said, I think every move that we've seen Minuski make from a coaching perspective, he's doing as 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 well as anybody that I would I would expect them to do with the talent on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they were thirteenth in, in DVOA this year. They were I think 16th last year and 17th or 16th year before. So for them to be getting out league average play with the defense uh, without, with, with pretty much zero pass rush is remarkable. And I don't think people understand how difficult that is. I had someone told tell me I was making Greg Minuski into a martyr. And I laughed. I just wanted to mention that because it was funny. Well, yeah, because, so, okay, before you say anything else, that whole concept is mind-boggling to me because before we found out last last week that Pagano and Grigson were both sticking around, the narrative was that Grigson was making Pagano into a scapegoat, especially from the national media. I, I, there's so many national uh, columnists or whatever you know, tweeting, I can't believe Ryan Grigson is going to make Pagano into his scapegoat. And then the Colts keep Pagano and fire the rest of the coaching staff. Like that isn't, isn't doing the whole scapegoating thing about 10 times worse. Well, the funny thing to me is, well, so I'm not, first of all, I'm not making him a martyr. My point is, if everyone gets fired, I'm not sitting here going, God, why didn't you keep Greg Minuski? I don't care who the new coach is. He's the greatest defensive coach. No, all I'm saying is he actually made a positive impact in my opinion. But number two, oh no, I lost number two. Oh, people keep talking about blowouts. And like, that's the sole, the only reason they're blown out is because Greg Minuski failed. If you look at every single one of those blowouts, it is a complete and total failure of every aspect of the team. Like, they're not getting blown out because the defense sucked. They didn't score zero points because the defense sucked. 
obviously that's part of it, but every one of the blowouts required an amazing amount of coordination between all 53 guys on the roster. It was a very concerted effort to get blown out. They didn't just wake up and go, oh, let's give up 50 points. No, they said, let's wake up and fumble the ball and throw interceptions and not stop anyone and not tackle anyone on returns and not catch the ball. on Like, they were – it was a magnificent job, but it was a team effort. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the defense that failed in those blowouts. And, yeah, if I look at it, it's it's super concerning that this team finds a way to consistently get blown out against teams that have anything resembling an NFL roster. Sure, I'm concerned, but that wasn't Minuski. That's the entire team. And, again, that goes back to who's in control of the entire team, Chuck Pagano. Oh, well. Yeah, I, I think, especially looking at this year, um, you know, you've got games like the Pittsburgh game, and uh, those are the ones that stick out and Jacksonville. You know, they were down by what? Or they were were they ahead at halftime in that game? Or they were ahead like two minutes going into halftime? They were definitely ahead in the Jacksonville game, and if they weren't ahead, I'm going to look it up for you real quick. It was like ten six in, in the beginning of that close. Pittsburgh game. I I don't know how they stopped Pittsburgh for that long. Again, this is a team without a pass rush. And they managed to to force a couple turnovers, give the offense a chance inside the Pittsburgh 30 twice in the first 10 minutes, and the offense couldn't do anything with it. Um, you know, they and then they they allow a you know a, what 60 yard punt return for a touchdown in the late in the game. I mean, they allowed 38 offensive points uh, for Pittsburgh that game. And the the week before, Pittsburgh had scored 30 in Seattle. I mean, so I, I don't. You know, you're looking at that games like this, and you're blaming the defense when they have zero offensive support. And it, it's just to me, again, it's it's far more about the entire team wide collapse in games like that, and even more so to me, I think an offensive collapse. Um, even when luck was around, you know, the offense failed just as much as the defense in those games. So the Jaguar game, they were up 13 to nine at halftime, and then gave up 42 second half points but again they only scored three it's not like the the offense was doing anything in the pittsburgh game they were up 10 to six but then with four minutes left and then the the steelers scored two touchdowns to end the quarter and that was basically it and then they went on to score a ton of points to end the game but the Colts were in both of those games. But you have to right. it's just like it, it's if you go back and watch the afc championship game last year what weren't the Colts leading in the second quarter at, at one point? Oh. It was the either Colts, that or the regular season game. One of them. I'm pretty sure the Colts had a lead in the second quarter of the AFC Championship game. And then all of a sudden, it was like the the, the offense went three and out, uh, short punt, touchdown. Three and out, short punt, touchdown. It's like, whoa, it just snowballed and then again this year they had a lead all the way through the game against the uh the patriots and then you just can't close it out like it, it, it's a it's a total team effort guys to to lose games to give up a lot of points you don't we saw the team in the manning era give up a lot of points and lose but the offense very rarely and i know people are going to tweet me like hey look this happened okay great but very rarely did they lose because the offense didn't score anything Yes, I know. All the times against the Patriots. I got it. Thanks. Okay. But generally speaking, the defense gave up a lot, and that's why people hated the defense back then. Nowadays, it's a total team collapse, and that's what bothers me. So, and I still look at this as, to tie it all up, 
you're you're just pushing back the main decision that has to be made a year. You talk about coming into this year, Andrew Luck looked like he was on the cusp of becoming elite. Now you're putting him under another year of what, how do you describe this? Like you said, not on the same page, but someone is leaking to the to the press that it's toxic. That was a quote I think mm-hmm. Bob Kravitz used. Now, I am not a fan of Bob Kravitz. I think Bob Kravitz is a nincompoop, especially when it comes to like higher reasoning and, and common sense. But one thing I do not think he is is a – well, maybe he's a liar. But he wouldn't fabricate this. Like he's he wouldn't – no, no. He's not and sitting I, at home I think going – you saw it from everybody. Yeah. But, and and I, I definitely remember after Grigson was hired – uh, Kravitz tweeting about how the two of them had a bison dinner together and how much he like Grigson is a guy that Kravitz liked when he first got hired. So I don't see Grigson or P- Kravitz like turning on Grigson to this degree. Someone told him something. So to me, it's toxic. It's a toxic relationship, whether or not Grigson is the toxic one. Like someone's making up these stories if they're not true. And I'm not one. I, I feel like people tend to see what they want to see, so I don't read into body language and stuff. But if you look at the Three Amigo press conference last week, Ursay looked ha- uh, happy, uh, Pagano looked happy, and Grixon, maybe Grixon always looks this way. He kind of does. But he looked pissed off. And <laughs> I mean, he. He 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 forced a smile after the Richardson trade, didn't he? He didn't smile. <laughs> he didn't smile once. I don't know. I I don't want to read too much into it, but I just don't see this being a, a happy, go lucky, fun time. I I understand why people want to be optimistic about it, and I understand why Ursay did what he did. I just I don't think there is a particularly high chance of it working. Um, Last, you, you know, you, you tell them to to be men and to man up and 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 get your issues to figured out or what you know that's what the the kind of the mantra is. But I just don't think that is something that's really likely. I, I just think you have guys who are philosophically very different right now and and ha- like you said, have a relationship that has been very strained and that doesn't just go away. Um, they might be temporarily fixed. You know, you, the off season is a time for great hope. But if things go south, I think, you know, that's something that can be torn apart again really easily. It's been weakened now. Um, it's it's not something I think that's going to be uh, the next great thing. Okay. I need you to, I need you to stop me or encourage me because I want to say something and it's probably going to piss people off. And I don't know if I should piss people off. So you get to be Jiminy Cricket. Should I say something or should I just move on? You're good. Good. Move on. Yes. Okay. Let's move on to something more fun. <laughs> well, I w- okay, that's fine. Um, who would you have brought in? And I'm going to give you an out here. I can't give you a name of who I would have brought in. My point, whenever people ask, and people ask a lot, and it's a really hard question to answer because I don't pretend to follow 32 teams or a thousand teams in college. So, do you have an idea of who you would have brought in? Or f- my answer is always, I would have just brought in someone who believes in what I believe in, which is develop a pass rush and a passing game. 
Right. And I think for me, um, Hugh Jackson was at the top of my list just because I love what he's done in being able to develop the offense in Cincinnati. Um, I think his tenure in Oakland is, I think that the most, the usual reaction to his tenure in Oakland is a huge overreaction. I think given what they had in that team, that team way overperformed. Um, but I think mostly he's a guy that I would love to see coming in and help develop an offense around Andrew Luck. Now, the problem with, with guys like us trying to say, well, I think this would make a good head coach and this guy would make a good head coach, blah, 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 is that we not only do we not necessarily follow all 32 teams closely like we do in Indianapolis, but more so what makes a good head coach is very complicated. And the large I, – I think the biggest part of that is something that we cannot see – from our couches, you know, and I don't even think most media guys can see it from, you know, the press room or even the locker room. Uh, being a good head coach has more to do about being able to manage your staff and manage your team than it does the stuff we see on game day. The stuff we see on game day is really important, but I mean, to me, any management position has, has far more to do with stuff we can't see. So again, that's why things like keeping Pagano, I think, you know, they're defensible. If it was, you know, if the biggest part of, of being a head coach was just how aggressive they were on the field, then it wouldn't be close. But so for me to bring in a head coach, there's so much more, so many more factors around it that, that I can't see. So it makes it hard for me to, to really build a case, but probably the guy that I most would want from what we can see is a guy like Hugh Jackson um, or even Adam Gase. And I think, you know, you have a lot of people out there wanting to see a big name, you know, big name come in. But to me, the the biggest thing, the most important thing to me in my mind is developing that offense. Um, so I was always going to lead toward lean toward an offensive guy or at least somebody who, like you said, understood the importance of developing a pass rush, developing a, a, a tough secondary, developing that, that passing game, that pass first mentality. Um, so that's, that was my take on it. I, and I, like I said, I just don't think for me that that's the hardest part is that there's so much that goes into to a head coaching gig that I can't see. Um, but I think, again, the passing game is what's most important, especially developing luck. And that's what we haven't seen yet from this staff that is concerning. I I remember the first time I tweeted this season, it was at the beginning of the blowout loss to the Jaguars. And I tweeted because he kicked a field goal from the three-yard line, which, I don't know. Anyhow, I asked a question later that day. Can you point to anyone in this era outside of – Vontae Davis, who is, they need to put posters. He needs to be the only face on the outside of Lucas Oil next year because he is their poster child as far as I'm concerned. Anyone else who you believe has developed at or above your expectation? And I uh, I, I excluded Vinatieri and uh, McAfee because they're not football players. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I excluded those two. Uh, I think we've seen some development, but it's it's been inconsistent. Um, Vontae has obviously developed quite a bit, and that's the biggest poster child for anybody uh, defending the Pagano regime. Um, I think Jarrell Freeman has developed really well. Uh, he was hurt last year, and he was really inconsistent, but I think for the most part we've seen him develop into a, a, a good linebacker. Um, trying to think of anybody else. We've seen... Strong uh, play from young players this year on the defensive line. Uh, offensively, T.Y. Hilton's developed well. I think Moncrief has developed well, although there's a lot more room for development. Um, and that's about it. Uh, 
Muhort, Jack Muhort has has developed well on the inside. Sticking him out outside was a was I think a flawed move to begin with, but on the inside he's played well as well. Okay, so very there are more than one. A handful of guys. <laughs> okay. My concern this, this is my concern. Like you I agree 100% with your statement and I've always I I know I talk a lot and I'm very opinionated about a lot of things, but I have always said there's so much that goes on that we can't. And I, I even say this about judging individual performances. Like I really never trashed the Bjorn Warner pick. And I really try to never trash offensive line play because I can't tell what was supposed to happen. It's really hard. And I, so as opinionated as I am, I try to take it slow on some things, but when I just look at the team as a whole, fine, I don't know what Pagano is doing, but I behind the scenes, he's not developing players. Now, the one place I'll give him pass, and I, I'm okay being wrong on this, but I feel I in my bones, I don't think Luck has been healthy one snap this year. I have not seen a pass he's made that looks anything resembling a pass he made previous years. Everything okay. was floating, and things don't float. They're not supposed to float. He's always been a guy who throws high, and that's something he has to fix. But the high, the high passes this year floated. And I saw people. I saw someone say uh, when he came back from the shoulder injury, "Oh, look how far he threw that. His shoulder is fine." But it it was like a a, a rainbow. It, he can throw it a hundred yards. That's great. But it it wasn't a controlled throw. And I just don't. I think he was hurt beforehand. Like I, I'm going to go back to to two things. One, before he got hurt against Tennessee, Mike Freeman tweeted out, "I've been told that Andrew Luck's hurt." That was before he got injured in Tennessee. And then I go back to the to the GIF. I pronounce it with a hard G, guys, because the G stands for graphic. The GIF of Hasselback tapping him on the chest and him, like, dying. I mean, I guess you could do that with a shoulder separation, but I don't even know if the shoulder separation had taken place at that point. I think there was something else wrong. I am not willing to say that Andrew Luck turned 26 years old and then somehow regressed. He was a right. top 10 quarterback last year on the cusp of top five. And I do not believe he just totally forgot how to play. So I'm throwing everything out. He did everything he did this year out of out. So if he, that part doesn't have to be in coaching, but receiving wise T Y Hilton to me this year looked At times, he got better as the year finished. I thought, but the first half of the year was really scary. Like scary to the point where, if I was a newspaper columnist, I would have written the "Hey, look who got his contract and no longer wants to play football" column. But thankfully, I'm not, so I could save myself from such embarrassment. I uh, am going to agree to disagree with you on Ty. You thought Ty was good all year. For what he was working with, yeah. Okay, fine. Well, Laura tweeted that she agrees with me, so <laughs> so that makes you right. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I'm just I I I I don't I we don't need to talk about it. It's not necessarily a topic for this conversation or for this podcast, but um, yeah, I was a Ty defender all year. Um, but I know other think people say that. Yeah, I think there was a lot of people who were who oh. were uh, down on Ty to to start the year. But for me, I thought it had a lot more to do with 
um, and with the uh, with the way that the offense was kind of designed, to, especially to start the year. Okay, let's. Do you have anything to close on Pagano Grixen? Like, I don't want to beat a dead horse. They're they're here. Right, we can't change right. that. And we've we spent so much of our time. I I don't know how many new listeners we have today, but we've spent so much time over the past three years. Actually, these aren't new pro- new problems. I guess to go back to this <laughs> is, is everything we're talking about now is stuff we've talked about before. And I guess maybe that's what's frustrating. So do you have anything to close that out? Because I do think that there are interesting discussions about the next four months. I think both Gregson and Pagano have their flaws and their uh, their strengths. And I think there is a scenario where this can work out. I just don't think it's particularly likely. Okay. JR tweets that he is afraid that it works out simply because of luck. And then that uh, precludes changes from occurring. I I don't know. And I understand that viewpoint, um, but I do think that Gregson is at a point where if they can't move forward in the playoffs um, and contend at a higher level, that I do think that they have a little bit tighter leash, even if you know the uh, PR version of that press conference uh, wouldn't necessarily look like that. I'll also add this. His first two years, Luck did things that literally no other person has done. Like from a comeback standpoint if that version of luck wasn't able to overcome all the deficiencies i don't think next year's version with one and a half kidneys and ribs and stuff like i i don't i think he's going to be an elite player but i don't ever think you're going to get the player who did the detroit lion game again if that makes sense he's going to be at some point in time he's going to have to be more in control because he can't continue to take the the physical beating he takes. So I, I think what's going to happen is you're going to have an elite quarterback who is going to have to work with a team, not an elite quarterback who is going to make the team work. I don't think he's going to overcome every deficiency. He'll be more like well, – I'm not even going to say the words. He'll be a, a quarterback who's good, but you don't overcome – 12, what was it, 12 one-score games or whatever anymore <laughs> because of his ability to do stuff at the end of the game. That's my opinion. I don't think he's going to change outcomes as much. So I, I'm I not think, afraid of that. I think they're going to better, well, hope. The, the best-case scenario is that they better tailor the offense around him um, rather than forcing him to make those kind of impacts. But that's a different conversation. I also agree. Someone tweeted something. I agree a hundred percent with it. And I know I'm pretty sure you will too. First, I think the offensive line is pretty bad. Maybe not as bad as some people think, but Grigson's problem isn't that it's been uh, ignored. It's that he's been right. totally inept at acquiring good players. He signed a ton of guys. And that's been where uh, every time somebody comes at me, like, well, Gregson just doesn't understand that he, you know, he's got to protect the quarterback. The Gregson's done plenty of things to try and protect the quarterback. They just doesn't haven't all worked, and some of them worked. Um, I think Jack Muhort is going to end up looking like a, a very good pick, um, and I think obviously locking up Costanzo, I think was a good move. Uh, I think keeping Joe Joe Wrights around, uh, we love him here, and for good reason. I mean, he he was right tackle all year. He's a he really should be a guard or reserve. 
Uh, and he played right tackle all year and played fine. I mean, again, it's nothing, no, nothing world beating, but he, you know, for him to fill in at right tackle all year, he did a great job. Um, and I think, you know, they've made some good moves, but drafting, uh, Khalid Holmes and uh, Hugh Thornton, those, neither of those worked out. I know some people really like Thornton, but neither of those have worked out thus far. Um, Harriman's obviously was a, a disaster. A uh, guy like Lance Lewis never was anything more than what we should have expected him to be. Um, there have been moves made. They just haven't worked. Uh, and I think, I think that's going to be an area that they need to address, but it's not an area that I think they need to pour resources into. Simply because the de- the offensive line is bad, but offensive lines around the whole league are bad, and somehow teams are still making it work. You look at teams like Seattle um, or even Carolina; they they're not teams with great offensive lines, but they're making it work. I mean, those offenses were both fantastic, especially down the stretch this year. Um, so th- there's ways to make it work without an elite offensive line. What you need is an offensive line that you can you can work around. Um, especially if you have the quarterback, you just need an offensive line you can work around. And so I think if they get another guy on the interior um, that can, uh, that, you know, that can fill in on the interior, if they develop good, I think, you know, people, they really like Denzel good. So if they can develop him at right tackle, they get a guy on the interior, I think they'll be fine. It's not an area that I think they have to go spend, you know, three draft picks on early or anything like that. My problem with the offensive line has always been, it's so polarized. Like, and what I mean by that is luck will either have plenty of time or no time. I feel like there's not <laughs> there's not a lot of gray area with them. There's not a play where, hey, he held up for two seconds and then got beat and luck had to scramble. It's like luck had five seconds or luck had zero seconds. Ah. Okay, I don't know. And it really comes down to you look at uh, the two guys in the middle, Holmes and uh, Harrison, right? Mm-hmm. I think they have plays that that's that describes their career to me. They have plays where they look like okay, I understand, and then they have plays where it's like what? But mostly it's the latter, right? <laughs> but but still, <laughs> a couple plays. I think you like, get oh. a. I think center <laughs> is is one of the biggest issues with them, just because they if they have a center that. Um, that you know that understands blitz protections and can get them in the right position, but also can be a half decent blocker. Um, I think that offensive line takes a huge step forward. This is where you go go back to the Peyton Manning team. They got so lucky that a cast off ended up working because they never had a dominant. They had Tarek Glenn and they had Jeff Saturday, and you can. Their their right tackle was fine, even though I didn't I wasn't Ryan Dean's biggest fan, but everything else could kind of work because Jeff Saturday was so good at his job. To to reinforce your point, and they've that's the one place that they've never found. I guess Shipley, maybe yeah. And I'm not even I'm not here saying he's a good player, but I feel like he's better than anything that they've had since. So, do you think? there's any chance above zero that Andrew Luck does not sign a contract extension? No. Okay. I, I, no, (laughs) I think, you know, that's so rare. And Andrew Luck is not the volatile kind of player that it does happen to when it does happen. Um, He's not Jay Cutler. uh, You know, he's not uh, Carson Palmer and and Carson Palmer didn't happen until after he signed a, a extension anyway. Um, 
So it, it's just so rare for a franchise quarterback to leave. It usually – and it, it, like, never happens um, before that first extension. And Luck is the kind of team player, loyal kind of, you know, rah-rah guy that I – there's no way I, I see him leaving. Unless um, it's just – I mean, if if that happens, then it's just – I mean, that is, like – that's worse than Cleveland Browns territory in terms of your, your franchise um, appearance and dysfunction. What about, what about the team making that decision? I see that as very unlikely as well. Um, I just more likely than luck leaving because he just doesn't think the team is good. I just don't think that's something that happens. Um, And I think, I think Ursay's bought into, into luck. So I don't, I don't see that really as an issue either. Okay. Tight end, both are RF, RFAs this year or UFAs. Anyhow, do you see either of them or one of them coming back? Uh, they're both, I believe, I think they're both UFAs. But anyway, um, contracts. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I don't see Allen coming back for both because he had a down year, and I don't think the team wants to necessarily pay him, but also because I don't think he wants to come back. I mean. Maybe it depends on those. Again, this depends a lot on personal relationships in the locker room that we don't necessarily see. But I mean, if you were Dwayne Allen, would you really want to come back? Uh, I mean, he's he's been a complete factor in the offense. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, but would would you, if you were Dwayne Allen, why would you why would you want to come back? Uh, they the Colts have not shown an ability to consistently. You we've seen flashes of. Of, of you being uh, a focal point in the offense, but that's rare. Um, I, I just don't think – I think if you're Allen, especially if the Colts are going to shift toward uh, a more spread offense, I think if you're Allen, your best chances to fit into an offense as a as a focal point are, are anywhere but here. The only reason you stay if you're Dwayne Allen is, is because you want to ride Andrew Luck's coattails. And while that is – a feasible scenario. I just don't think it's going to be enough, especially if Kobe Fleener gets re-signed. Um, for Fleener, I think they'll probably re-sign him just because he'll be cheap because he had a down year uh, and because him and Luck's relationship goes so far back. So I don't think I have to explain this too much, but I, I will anyhow. I'm not as high on Dwayne Allen as others. I'm probably higher on Kobe Fleener than others. What I will say this year is it doesn't matter where I am on Dwayne Allen. When they ran two tight end sets this year, the second tight end was Jack Doyle. Dwayne Allen was an afterthought, and I don't understand that. Like, I don't know that he was ever as good as the the guy we thought would be the, the second piece of the Gronkowski um Hernandez thing that we had built up and, and I was a big part of that too but they did they they didn't even try with him right Allen lost what 15 pounds in the offseason specifically so that he could he could be more explosive in the passing game and they well, I'm trying to find the exact numbers but he he only ran 200 routes all season I mean that's like <laughs> like if you're only running you know 10 routes a game uh, and you specifically designed your entire off season to improve in the passing game. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be upset too. And that, I mean, they, they use him a lot. He's, he's 
you know, he blocks a lot, I guess. But I mean, he's he's blocking, you know, 350 snaps and and going on past his 200 for a guy who clearly has an expressed a desire to be utilized in the passing game um, to only be used on a you know one curl route in the first play of the game every week and that's it. Uh, I mean, that what do you expect? 29 targets total for the entire season. I mean, you're yeah, less than two targets a game. I mean, like I like I said, I just don't see why Allen would want to come back at this point unless the coaching staff just said, "Hey, last year was an aberration because luck was hurt all year, and we really want you." But I don't think you necessarily believe that at this point if you're Allen either. I don't want to believe this, but it's almost like he got hurt again, and it became a okay. We're tired of de- dealing with this. But he was blocking still. I mean, he still was on the field for 600 snaps or 525. I'm trying to come up with something. I don't, it just doesn't make <laughs> sense to me. Like, I don't like the whole uh, – I hate appeal to authority. Like, oh, see, I told you Dwayne Allen wasn't that good. The coaches agree because I'm, I'm sitting here criticizing the coaches. So I, I'm not going to do that, but I don't understand it. And then on the other hand, we have Kobe Fleener, who I think is really good at getting open and then really bad at almost everything after that. And I don't understand that either. Like, he gets open a lot. But, and I I think he's a better catcher than people give him credit for. But it's everything that that comes after that. And I'm, like, looking at these two, and I, I don't, I don't get it. The way they use both of them is was just, I mean, criminal this year. Um, Fleener, like like Allen, was was uh, relegated to these these curls or flat routes. Uh, even you know, it was like they were trying to consistently put him in catch, yards after the catch situations, which failed miserably. Um, and just like never used him down the field. I mean, we saw him last week. We saw the you know fifty yard touchdown pass, and that was like one of the only downfield throws that it, anybody could name from the season for Kobe Fleener after last year, where Kobe Fleener was was the the best deep threat tight end in terms of production in the league. I mean, so I, and luck being out obviously impacts that. But even when luck was healthy, that's what Fleener and Allen were doing. They were they were doing curl routes and they were doing flat routes. I mean, that's that's it. And this, this, again, these are the two guys they spent high picks on in 2012. These are, they've, they've run very tight end heavy offenses, you know, whether it's two tight ends or three tight ends or, or whatever else. Um, they give Allen a huge amount of responsibility in blocking. But other than that, I, there's no way that they have really tried to implement these two as focal points in the offense. To me, Fleener's bread and butter should never be – the, the type of routes you're talking about. It's always seam stuff, right? It mm-hmm. has to be every, the only thing he attacks is the seam. Or if you want to get cute and split him wide and get a really nice matchup that way. But he's also the kind of guy who I trust him to catch a ball, but I don't know if I trust him to make the contested catch on the outside. So I don't even know if that works. I still think, I look at these two guys and I think that they work well together. But I don't right. But they're never but we haven't seen it together. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna piss Bora off on Twitter. If you put these two on the Patriots, <laughs> they do big things, right? 
I'm not just imagining this. Like, in theory, these two work well together. And in theory, both of them have strengths that can be utilized. And in practice, we just have never seen it. Last year was was probably the closest thing we've seen to it working. Um, And that was with, with Alan Hurt for half the year, it seemed like. But... He, but I mean, we, they got 16 touchdowns out of them. That Fleener had a good year in terms of production. I mean, and then nothing this year. Even when Luck was healthy, it was it was really, really nothing. <laughs> and I, I was I defended the Dorsett pick when it happened, basically because I believe in uh, best player available. Like if they had taken DeAndre Hopkins over. Werner, no one would care, right? Because best player. Oh my gosh! Don't mention <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins; it's a sore spot. <laughs> Sorry, but my my point is, if you look at signing uh, Andre Johnson, which I was pro, and then mm-hmm. you look at the Dorset pick, and then you look at the Hilton extension, I don't know what the plan was. Anyhow, like I'm doing the mental math in my head. You now have four wide receivers and a running back that you're probably going to use. Where, where are any of the tight ends? Like, I understand why they get lost because that. But it wasn't like they were, I mean, it's hard to, again, it's hard to look at this year with the quarterback situation that they had, whether it was luck being hurt or the backups and not give them a little bit of a pass. You know what I mean? Because right. you, you know you're you're dealing with with this all year, but at the same time, like I said, even at the beginning of the year, the plan was not clear. What are you going to be? Are you going to be a spread team? Are you going to be a three? You know, are you going to be an eleven personnel team with three receivers and then tight end? Um, are you going to be a two tight end team? The plan was just they never had a, a convincing identity, and. I think the problem was, I think one of the problems that I always felt with Pep Hamilton was that he tried to do a little bit of everything and they never mastered one thing, right? I mean, that was the, the biggest strength of the Peyton Manning offenses was that they could do what they did better than anybody. Right. I mean, they could, they could run 11 personnel and they could run, um, you know, they could run their plays and the defense knew what was coming and they couldn't stop it because, the Colts had perfected it. The, the, you know, this version of the Colts has never perfected anything. They've never been, they've never had, you know, they've never been a two tight end offense perfectly. They've never been a power running offense. They've never been spread. I mean, they, they don't have any one thing. And so they, they never had a plan. They've got all these weapons, but they never really had a plan to use them that, that worked. And they never even had a plan. I thought to use them that they did consistently drive to drive. So, it's hard to look at any of the players, the offensive skill players this year and, and criticize them too much. When you look at the position they were put in where they just, you you don't know what their roles were supposed to be. I will say once luck goes out and I'm pretty sure that inside the organization, you had to have an inkling that luck wasn't coming back this Mm -hmm. year. I don't even buy that. He was coming back for the playoffs. I think that's easy to say after you've been eliminated. Because as far as I'm concerned, the playoffs started three weeks ago for the Colts. And to say that Luck would be ready for the playoffs, this was these were must-win games. So my my problem is once he was out, that's Fleener and Allen should have been elevated in their importance because that's what Hasselbeck could do. I don't know. 
And do you believe? I the think report- it was hard though. Go ahead. Because those teams, everybody was just stacking the box. So Fleener and Allen could catch those those curls and flats, but they weren't going to go anywhere with them. And that was what we saw. So you can't. I mean, even with them pushing it up the seam and down the field was going to be uh, sketchy at best with Hasselbeck. Hold on, I'm, I'm looking something up because I'm actually interested in this. Give me one second. Jack, oh, Jack Doyle only had 14 targets this year. Feels like more. I just Jack Doyle is great. Yeah, no, I he he should be a number two, right? You keep one of these guys, and Jack Doyle is right. number two. Yeah. Okay. He caught 12 of 14. That's interesting. The problem is, if you keep Doyle, he's not explosive. Doyle reminds me of... Who does he remind me of? Oh, gosh. The guy who got all the concussions, and I feel really bad for him, and now I can't remember his name. Anyone. He can't either. Hey, come on! (laughs) Uh, Remember, they had... uh, Oh, Wow. Someone someone's going to tweet to me his name. Anyhow, they had three tight three tight ends in the last years of the the Dallas Clark era. One of them was oh. Justin Box. No, not Tom Santi, guys. Ben Utech. There we go. Oh, Utech. Yep, yep. Reminds me of Ben Utech and uh, reliable. Not going to like wow you ever. Maybe he gets a contract in five years from someone because Andrew Luck does big things, but thank you, Laura, for the U-Tech. But but he's what he should be. He's a number two who can block and can catch the ball. And maybe he should be in the in the fullback position when they run a tight end out of the fullback. Like, he he's perfect. He does whatever you need him to do, and he does it fine. But my problem is, if I say to you he's the number two, I look at Kobe Fleener. Kobe Fleener's not explosive. You need someone explosive from the tight end now. Kobe Fleener should be explosive. But yeah, that. but and I and Dwayne Allen's not right now either. Like I'm so scared of this going forward. Like they're going to keep one guy, and it's going to be the wrong guy. <laughs> no matter who they, whichever one that <laughs> no they let who. go is going to do great things. <laughs> yeah. Like if you look at Dwayne Allen this year, six. I know, and, and, and I know it's what you're talking about with the the curls and the the flats and everything. But six point eight yards per catch. Right, And you look at Doyle, and it's six yards per catch. And you look at Fleener, and it's nine yards per catch. Those are crappy numbers for the fifth option. And the reason I say it that way is they should they have the least amount of coverage when you look at a Hilton or Moncrief is really good, guys. Yep. And all of this, like, these guys should be open and, and getting yards after the catch, and it's not happening, and I'm really concerned. Fleener averaged 15 yards at catch last year. And even like the first nine weeks of the season, with luck healthy for the majority of those, he was averaging less than nine. I mean, it's just like the way, you know, the way that they, the ability that they had last year to get Fleener open up the, up the middle or, or um, on the outsides, it just completely disappeared, it seemed like. And that was again. That was before Hamilton was was fired. That was before Luck was out for the year. Even if Luck was hurt, I mean, th- just looking at the way they were used, looking at film, that was just it was completely different. And I again, I just don't know why, and I don't have any confidence that that's necessarily going to change going forward. Um, 
Chudzinski does have a history of using tight ends and using them well, especially athletic tight ends who can go up the seam. Um, but he was in charge, even if his, it wasn't his offense completely uh, during the back half of the year, he was still in charge of the offense. He was still calling the plays. Uh, he still had some ability to dictate some of that. So we will see a little bit of difference this year with him in charge and an off season to install his offense, but I'm not still not, it's not an area where I'm particularly confident in. When I was watching the Chudzinski games, I read that he was using a pared down version of the Pep Hamilton playbook and not his playbook. And I, I don't know if that's lip service, if that's, you know, piling on Pep Hamilton's corpse. I hope it's the truth. And I'm going to tell you why, because when I watched Chudzinski call a game, it looked exactly like Pep Hamilton calling a game with the, (laughs) Hey, we have jumbo personnel. Guess what we're going to do? Hey, we have spread. Guess what we're going to do? Hey, we need to throw the ball, so we're not going to use, we're not going to put a running back at, back there for play act. Like all of the things that I can point to under Pep Hamilton and go, "Hey, they're tipping exactly what they're doing every play." They still existed. So I'm I really hope that Chudzinski, who is supposed to be a really well respect well respected play caller, was just using what the team already knew. I really hope that. Okay. Uh, anything else on the tight ends? Because I think there's only one more really interesting player going into the offseason. Uh, I'm you, good. Okay, Andre Johnson, do you think he's back? I don't see how. I like Andre Johnson, I mean, they'll they'll lose, I think, $2 million, but they can't pay him $8 million next year. I, like, he's... Not only was he ineffective when he was on the field, but he's blocking Dorsett. And you just spent a first-round pick on Dorsett. He's a downfield threat that fits with what Andrew Luck can do. Yeah, I don't think how, I don't see how you limit, but both limit Dorsett and uh, pay Johnson that kind of money for what we've seen him be able to do. Okay, let me ask you this. After a year of seeing Dorsett, and I realized he was injured for a very large portion of it, do you feel better about the pick? Or you may have been fine with it when it happened, but do you feel like the pick was justified? Uh, no, and I don't think that's really a plausible stance for anybody just because he wasn't able to produce. And again, you have reasons and you can have excuses for him. Um, and I think they're they're legitimate. I, I don't think, I think it's way too early to say, you know, Dorsett's a bust. Um, but it hasn't worked yet. And the, the whole defense of that pick for Grigson is that he was the best player available and that it was going to work. So if it doesn't, not only does it look bad because it's a bad pick, but also because you passed up areas of need, even if BPA is the best strategy, which we're both on the same page there. So um, I think we saw some, I think I like the way that they used Dorsett given their quarterback situation in the last game, uh, playing him in the slot. And he did a good job. I think make it made some contested catches over the middle for first downs and whatnot. Um, I, I liked how he looked there. But his bread and butter is going to be down the field, and he just hasn't really been in a situation where that's been plausible yet. So let's let's say you cut Andre Johnson, and let's say Andrew Luck is healthy and he comes back. Hilton, Moncrief, Dorsett, are you comfortable with those as your top three? Yeah. Yeah. Moncrief is really good. 
Moncrief is good, and there's room for more development there. He was really inconsistent this year, but I think that had to do with the quarterbacks too. And I think if you get a quarterback playing at you know a top ten level, like we've seen from Andrew Luck, even if it's not the top five level that we hoped for, I think Moncrief can be really good. And I, especially, I think he can be a good pairing with with Hilton. Doesn't it feel like next year? And I feel like we probably had this conversation a year ago. After I say what I say. But with Dorsett and with Hilton able to do what they can do downfield, doesn't it feel like this is the year where the where Moncrief and the tight ends really do things? Like there should be a lot of and with Luck Healthy, obviously, it feels like there should be a ton of stuff available for them. But that's what we said this year, right? I don't. But it has to happen. <laughs> but that's right? the thing. Everything that we're going to say about the offense for next year, about what it needs to do and about what it should do, is basically going to be the exact same things we said a year ago. It so, was a top ten offense. No, that's not even. It was a top five offense on paper. Right. right? It was. Okay. I mean, I know we had this conversation, and I know, uh, looking back on it, if we were, I was wrong. But I, even looking at it today, I don't know why. I, I can't. Right. I can't really figure it out and it's it's frustrating and it's sad but going into it I, I feel the same way like this offense is put together pretty well from a skill position they they keep Frank Gore right yeah I, I think they have to they don't have any other options I think they keep, I think like last year I think they keep Gore and I think they draft a you know back of the future but that's what I thought they were going to do last year and then they drafted Earlier you talked about how well we were talking about Grigson's free agent signings and whatnot, and I, I my one issue with them has always been whenever we talk about free agency day on that day, we always kind of say the same thing: the the contracts are good. These are good contracts because we know it's probably not going to work out well, but they, <laughs> you can cut bait with them at any time. Right. But they always end up; they never coat and. Maybe this will sound weird, but they never coach with that philosophy. They always, you can always see, like with Hilton, Hilton kept getting blocked by guys far inferior to him. With Moncrief, blocked by guys inferior to him. With Dorsett, probably blocked by a guy, I don't know if Andre Johnson's inferior to him, but certainly not markedly better uh, I think we've seen it a little bit on the defensive side with various players, although it's much sl- slimmer pickings back there. But my point is, they they have these contracts that are, you know, releasable, but they don't always manage the team that way. So I get kind of concerned that maybe, you know, you draft a running back and he's not going to to be used in that way. He's going to be hey, sit on the bench, watch Frank Gore do stuff. Although, to be fair, Frank Gore sat a lot on the bench at the beginning of the year, so I don't know. Well, and I think, too, you the disconnect between Gregson and Pagano and how much that affected those kinds of things, it's impossible to know, but it's it's probable that it affected them in some way. You know what I mean? Whether right. it's all, you know, and whether it's Gregson meddling or Gregson intervening, inter- intervening intervening uh because he didn't trust pagano to make some of those decisions you know so there's there's a disconnect 
And I think there's issues on both sides, um, and it affected those decisions. And I, like I said, I don't want to. I don't think that's an area where I can blame just Grigson or just Pagano. Um, but I, I, it's it was an issue, and I think though that's one area where it definitely had an impact. Uh, do you believe that he was forcing? Trent Richardson to continue to be played? Because that's the only thing that actually makes sense now that it's being reported. Um, that's one to me where it it makes sense and that's a if if it did happen, that's a big um big criticism for, for Gregson too. Um I don't I don't know. I, I think again I think the style, the idea of Trent Richardson is also something I think that was probably very appealing to Pagano, especially in the beginning. So who knows? Trying to look up. Oh, Greg Toller is a free agent this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Toller Island is probably relocated. You would think that, except they don't have any other options at this point. So you have to have a contingency plan. Davis, Butler, Dewan Smith, Jaleel Brown. Wow, this is a, who, a who's who of number six cornerbacks. That's really impressive. Butler's fine as a as a slot guy. He remember that one year where he was like elite as a slot guy. Yeah, he was awesome. Then, that was like 2013, I think. Yeah, and then it was all all downhill. He's, he's still fine. He's not. I mean, he's not an area where I think you have to improve necessarily there. But the outside, you do. Uh, and it from you would have liked to see more from John Smith if he was going to be the guy. Maybe they just – is there a, a free, agents, free agent cornerback that you're fine spending money on this year? I don't know if you know that off the top of your head. Yeah, not off the top of my head. I'll find it, but I haven't looked into it yet. Okay. I'm going to bring on someone in just a moment. But first, I'm going to look this up because I can tell you. Uh, Leon Hall, Sean Smith, Prince <laughs> – Prince – uh, Gerard Powers, Greg Toller, Morris Claiborne, Alan Ball, Nolan Carroll, Adam Jones, <laughs> Terrence Newman, Patrick Robinson, Terrell Brown, Josh Robinson, Trumaine Johnson, William Gay, Cody Sensabaugh. Not a lot of oh, Mike Jenkins, maybe-ish. Not a lot of guys there. No, especially not that, you know, that necessarily fit what they want to do. I, yeah. I think bringing Toller like, back is a mistake, though. Yeah. I think they have to spend some serious draft capital um, on 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 the secondary. And I know they, they picked up Smith in the second round or early third round, I guess, after they traded back last year, but... Um, I don't think you can bank on him at all. Dave says, Toller is not a contingency plan. He's a 50-yard touchdown waiting to happen. You know, speaking of Toller, I have a I have a minor gripe with Colts fans. I'm pretty sure... I mean, I know that saying blank island isn't a new thing. It started with Revis. But I'm pretty sure I coined Toller Island and Toller Resort and Toller Continent, Toller Fun Park... I I want royalties. Like people are coming up with new tollers. Okay, guys, that's fine. I encourage it, but 
we need to we need to start paying me my one cent per, okay? Is there a uh, some way to get a a like Greg Cowan specific <laughs> custom trademark sign that we can put after every Kohler Island DC instead of just the normal around. like yeah instead of like the normal R or whatever just do like a GC I like that. Toller is kind of like I described the offensive line earlier. It's a, there's plays where he makes a play and it's fine like okay NFL player. And then the very next play is like an 80-yard touchdown on a play where it's <laughs> where was Toller? Well, and that's the thing is is Toller's not good, but he's also like he does fit what they do, especially when they have a pass rush. And the again, the whole idea of just like let's bench Toller just never like worked for me. No, I yeah I understand that there's no one to replace him with, but. My favorite part was whenever there was a touchdown where the wide receiver was running free, you didn't even have to see the replay. Like, you know it's not Vontae. Right. You're pretty sure it's not Butler. You just know that it's it's got to be Toller. It's it's just it's Greg just Greg Toller things, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Caleb says I he thinks I coined Toller All Inclusive Resort. That's that's fine with me. I don't. I don't I don't want to say all the jokes that are in my head. Um what what other moves do you think they make as far as free agents or signings that maybe they'll cut bait with? Uh I think what I I will Cole Trent Cole um he was on a one-year contract I think. Um so he's gone and there's no way I mean he just he was fine in the run game, but they brought him to be a pass rusher, and he wasn't. So I don't think there's any way that he's he's back. Um, I'm trying to remember who else they have on this team now. I've been trying to purge my brain the last year. I guess he does have one year left. It was a two-year contract. Um, but all the, all the guaranteed money was uh, last year. So if they let him go, um, let's see. They have a uh, – there's a – Signing bonus. Yeah, so there's one million left on his contract if they cut Trent Cole. Um they'll have one million dead cap, but you don't want to pay him seven and a quarter next year either. So uh Trent Cole's probably gone and should be. Their uh their roster to figure out who else is needs to be gone, but Cole and Cole and Johnson are the two big ones that you say, okay. Those were free agent mistakes, and it was one of those things you knew it was coming last year when they signed all these older veterans. Some of them weren't going to work out. Um, Harriman's didn't work out. Johnson didn't work out. Cole didn't work out. Langford did work out, I think. Uh, I think uh, Gore worked out, and obviously the production from those two wasn't, you know, wasn't anything to to write home about. But watching them play, I think those were were signs that worked. Um, but if you let go Johnson and Cole, then two of your top six biggest cap hits for next year are gone. Um, Werner's gone, right? I I don't know. He's got one year left on his contract. It's two and a half million, which is a lot. Even if you're, if you're Grigson, it's like, 
let's see if he can put something together. I don't know. I think Dequell Jackson, I think, should <laughs> – I know this isn't a particularly popular opinion for a lot of Colts fans. I think for most of our listeners it probably will be. But uh, Dequell Jackson, he only has – he has almost $6 million on his contract or cap hit next year and only five hundred k in dead cap. And I just think if you if you can sign or draft a uh, if you do draft an inside linebacker in the first round, a guy like Ragland or something like that, uh, you have an opportunity to get rid of Jackson and free sign Freeman. And I think that is a situation I'd be way more comfortable with um, than going into the year with Jackson and not Freeman. You know, whether it's a rookie or or a free agent signing or whatever else. So Jackson is an option, but I, it's not likely, I don't think, because he is a leader in the locker room and he tackles a lot. But to me, that's that's a very obvious um, opportunity to save some money and upgrade at the position. One, one sec. Dequell Jackson, is he – I don't know that name. Is he related to Pro Bowler and AFC Player of the Week, Dequell Jackson? <laughs> I always forget to add his middle name. <laughs> Or a surname, or whatever you want to call it. That's title. <laughs> title, okay. What about Arthur Jones? Do you bring Arthur Jones back, especially with the uh, Stanford boys in the middle? Man, I like Jones a lot. I just, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. I think he's got $3 million still left on his contract, uh, dead cap next year. I think you probably oh. bring him back next year. Um, I think the year after, 2017, is probably the best chance for, for being a a cap casualty. He's only he's five five six as a cap pick next year, um, and I think it, for the Colts it's a very much like okay we paid thirty three million dollars not all up front but thirty three million dollars to to sign this guy he was supposed to be the big thing he's played in like six games we've got to give him one more shot <laughs> especially with the cap hit. Uh, Jeff tweets to me, Mike Adams. They keep him no matter what. I mean, they don't have any safeties if they cut him. Right, and he's he's uh, only 1.6 next year, 1.6 million. Um, there's no dead cap, so they could cut him without any penalty. But he's still reasonably, you know, good for a veteran safety, um, and they've got to they've got to keep somebody back there. Even if you draft his successor, he's good as a backup. Like maybe perfect as a backup. So yeah. He's not costing you much. I mean, if you are really strapping for cash, um, you could do it. But, I mean, they have plenty of money for next year. So it's it's not an area where I think you need to intentionally downgrade. Do you think that they bring back Dwight Lowry? Uh, resign. He was on a one-year deal, right? So yeah. resign him. Uh, depends on what they're able to do. I, I think Gathers looked good when he was able to get in this year. So if if they see him as the strong safety of the future, um, Lowry might be a guy who they let go, let walk. I'm just going through these names real quick. Wow, Costanzo's contract is big. My goodness. I mean, it I is. guess that's what you do for a left tackle, but he picked a bad year to have a – or I guess good since he signed his contract, but the optics <laughs> of it look bad. Hmm. Let me see. I think that's it. There's no more. There's no more guys that I really think like Langford. You definitely keep because he was really, really probably one of his best signings. 
It, it was. He was good, and I think it, that's one of the things that gives you a little more flexibility that even if Jones does go down next year again, uh, Langford and Anderson and Perry is, is a, still a pretty decent um, starting line if they're sticking with a 3-4, which I'm assuming they are. It's really just linebacker, and, I, and when I say linebacker, I'm including the guys who play around the line because it's a 3-4. You need a pass rush. You need another linebacker besides Freeman and safety. But if you can ha- if you can get the pass rush, a guy like Greg Toller doesn't look like Greg Toller. Right. That's the biggest issue. The pass getting a pass rush will fix everything basically for that defense. And not I mean that's not going to be a uh, you know it's not going to be a Seahawks like defense with just a pass rush. But uh, they have plenty of pieces there if they get an edge rush. But looking at the cap for next year, they currently have about $22 million in cap space, um, depending on what happens with, with the cap next year. But I, looking like about $22 million. Um, even if they just cut Johnson and Cole, that gives them another 11 So then you're looking at a 33 34 range in cap space. Um, and that's... You know, they, and they could make more cuts if they needed to. Uh, you know, Jackson, um, even a guy like like Mathis, honestly. But no, you can't cut Mathis. I don't I think. Uh, don't they save? They they could save about five by uh, re-signing Luck too, couldn't they? Uh, depending on what they do, they he's he's up for sixteen million next year um, with that that. Uh, option was it fifth fifth year option yeah yeah so they could restructure his when they sign him to a new contract to to save some money too but I mean thirty three million going into the off season is plenty of money you never know <laughs> okay I'm going to now bring on Josh Baker from Colts Authority to round this out we've I think we've covered is there anything else you want to cover that we haven't covered mm-hmm. not that we can't cover with Josh. Oh. Wait, hold on. There is a question I want to. I want to bring on Josh. And while I bring on Josh, there's reports that uh, the Browns might cut Mac. And we were talking about center earlier. So think about this for a second. Uh, hi, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're we're great. This was supposed to be a three way, so now we have our three way. Yeah. Josh. <laughs> Josh is at all the press conferences except for the one I wanted him to be at. Why were you not at the press conference last week? Well, no one decided to pay me money to go there, and they probably wouldn't have liked me to just show up there. Could you have, though? Like, could you have just shown up? Would they let you in? Um, yes, probably, but that probably also wouldn't be good for my future of being employed. Yeah, but I don't care what? about that. I wanted you to be there for it. So next time what, you have What if we use we use some money from the Colts Authority uh big bank and oh we could gosh. pay you we could pay you like twenty dollars. Is that enough? <laughs> mm, also it was at ten thirty at night and I, <laughs> I I understand why they did that because the news would have gotten out at night, but that was kind of a dick move to everybody covering it. Because they had all gone home, and but whatever. They don't. Were you there about the media? Were no, you there? I wasn't there before? No. Okay. So the next time you have this opportunity, just just screw your uh, 
screw your future. I want okay. your reaction to to when Jim Irsay is speaking, and he's just like looking all over the place, and his face is kind of like the Joker, and he's just <laughs> super excited. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry that I couldn't be there just for you, Greg. I I accept your apology. So, Alex Mack, Dave says this this is what Dave tweeted after I asked the question and then didn't allow you to answer. Mack has a player opt out this year, but he also had a mediocre year partially due to injury. Wants to win. Well, you know what I want? I want people who want to win. <laughs> Damn it. Greg. I want less former <laughs> Cleveland Browns players. That's what I want. <laughs> but he's he's the only good one. So Man, I would be. You can't. You can't make those kind of excuses, Greg. You either want Cleveland Browns or you don't want Cleveland Browns. There's no middle ground here. Look, I want to hang out with Johnny Manziel. So. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> All right. Here, uh, the this is my thought on it. Very short. Best center that they've had in the Andrew Luck era by a factor of 1.5 billion. Knows Chudzinski's offense. That's all I got. And they have the money. That's all I got. Thoughts? I think there's a halfway decent center class in this draft class, and Mac is 30. Um, what do you got against 30-year-olds? So they already have plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> I like Alex Mack, and I could understand the reasoning if they do it, and I wouldn't hate it, but I think there are better options. Especially if you are trying to get younger, like Jim Ursay made a point of saying. I, I think it's worth. I mean, we we know that you can find good centers off the scrap heap. I I think you keep the Cleveland that Browns out. are the scrap heap. <laughs> yeah, but you're not going to pay scrap heap prices for that. That's true. That was my. I I do remember that being our one criticism of Grigson. It was always like finding hidden gems and then being, "Hey, you want premium prices? Here you go." So, fine, great, no Mac. I'm sad now. Bring back Satelli. Yes, <laughs> Samson. I don't think he played this year. I, he he was with the Dolphins last year, but I don't think he played this year. So. Satelli and and uh, Richardson. You want scrap heap? I'll give you scrap heap. Satelli <laughs> and Richardson. How many other Grigson players are out of the NFL immediately following his, their tenure with money bags? Anyone uh, else? Mike McGlynn? Is he still playing? Oh my gosh! Wow, you really pulled that one out of somewhere. Let me <laughs> let me look it up. Uh, I mean, you guys were talking about corners earlier, and I was wondering what Cassius Vaughn was doing. He plays. I saw him. Oh, where He's does he play? Yes. He was in Detroit oh. for a while. Oh. I didn't he, miss that guy. He was McGlynn he was played for the Saints this year. That makes sense. Wow. Mike McGlynn, coach killer. Except for he, Peyton didn't leave. And neither did Pagano. <laughs> <laughs> they just won't leave. <laughs> Cassius Vaughn. It's not with... He wasn't with the... Uh... Oh, he's with the Chargers, which also makes sense. <laughs> That's so Cassius. 
That's so Cassius. Someone asked me earlier, oh, JR said, which is better, Toller Island or That's So Cassius? Uh... I feel like That's So Cassius is better. I think... I think he tweeted some that once, or he like he, he did. tweeted at somebody who said it, or he tweeted it. It was awesome. I think it was this year he was talking with somebody on the Colts. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. Oh my gosh! Oh, Co- Corey hits a home run. I'm I'm going to double check, but I'm pretty sure Corey wins the internet today. Stanley Havili. Oh, <laughs> a good one. <laughs> A really good one. Oh, he is. He's definitely, he's definitely out. Yep, definitely, definitely gone from the NFL. Wow. But again, all of these guys are from from 2013 and stuff, so I shouldn't be so hard on Grixon. But it's still funny. Still funny. He played one. Uh, Cassius Bond played one game for San Diego. I watched that one game. And he did Cassius Vaughn things. And that Cassius Vaughn thing, you know what I'm talking about, where guy is completely wide open and drops a pass that you don't know how he dropped. And he's like, oh, yeah. It was against the Broncos. I'm pretty sure that's the game he played. That's the only reason I would watch a uh, Chargers game. I totally found the tweet by Cassius. I'm so happy. Okay, you got to <laughs> share it. Uh, he tweeted at Vic Ballard, who probably also isn't in the league anymore. Uh, he said, bro, you got to stop. I almost snapped on a fan. That so cashes. <laughs> <laughs> Is he using it ironically? Like, did he do? I think he's saying that he saw that hashtag and he almost snapped at them, but who knows? That's what I hope he's saying. I hope it's not like. I hope there's. I hope he's using it. Like I hope that he's using it because he saw the the hashtag. Was like I'm gonna use that. That's an. I have my own hashtag. Yeah. (laughs) Like he never clicks on it. He just oh got it. (laughs) Boom. I love the thread. You Since can even November 3rd, 1987, I've been allergic to failure. Bro, that's the lamest tweet I've done saw all day. <laughs> that's so Cassius. Yep. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh, poor guy. Oh, Not my really. goodness. It is interesting. You said Vic Valor is probably done, but didn't he play? He tried to play this year, right? Well, he was on the Colts for a while, and then they cut him. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't expect much from having no knees left, but some people thought he would be okay. And I, I feel bad for him, but... Oh, well. He he worked out with the Bears a few weeks ago. Did he? Well... Good for okay. him. Yeah. Boom Heron. He should be number three, right? I mean, he's a good number three. Why was he cut? Who knows? Okay. He got I hurt. Asked, uh, Remember oh, he? Okay. Oh yeah, he got hurt, and then there was a big hubbub about how could you be playing Boom Heron in uh, the fourth preseason game? He was like returning kicks. Oh. But it was like a two-week injury, and then they kept Ballard, and then cut Ballard the next yeah, week. Yeah, it was, it was dumb. just a weird sequence. It didn't make sense. 
Did they also cut some running back who's now like a superstar with some other team? Oh, the Dion Lewis for the Patriots. Yeah. Oh, whatever. You can find running backs yeah, anywhere. They don't do it. You can find running backs anywhere, which means that if you ever feel the itch to to trade a first round pick for one who's not any good. <laughs> oh my god. I wish so I man I wish so badly that I could just go back and I, I'm trying to remember there were so many people that um after that for that twenty thirteen season that were talking about how it was all the offensive lines fall and how you know the Colts kept putting him in bad situations and whatnot. I don't I'm trying to remember who it was. Somebody wrote like this big long piece for the Texans blog about how Richardson was actually really good and oh my gosh. That was the best off season ever. I remember the day the trade happened and I wrote an angry blog piece on Colts Authority and people were like you haven't even let him play yet. Yeah, because the guy's career just started today. There's no way we could have any idea of what he was before today. Ugh, people. You going to let it play out? Yeah, I am. He's horrible. Now what? God, people. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they just listen to us? Honestly. Why aren't yeah. we the GM of the Colts? Okay, if you made the three of us the GM of the Colts, it w- it, the results would be no worse because we would still have the Texans in our division, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, I was going to say that. Like, the, Grigson has it pretty easy going into this offseason. Because doesn't it feel like as long as luck is healthy, you're fine? As far as getting into the playoffs, like your concern shouldn't be winning the division. I think there's some pieces in the division that can be threatening, but I I don't see how they don't bounce back if luck's healthy. They're not. Are they threatening this coming year though? Like, I like Tennessee when they're healthy-ish. I think, and I like some of the pieces on the Texans, but I don't think like Texans aren't going to find a quarterback this year, right? Because they won the division. Right. But the, I mean, like there's still these teams that could win a few games and make things difficult for Indianapolis, I guess. I'm not predicting anybody, but Indianapolis to win the the division, unless Houston does manage to find a quarterback somehow. Uh, But like Jacksonville, that offense is legitimately good when Bortles is good and Bortles sometimes is good. He's, he's inconsistent, but Sometimes he's good with that with those pieces he has around him, and it's an offense that can periodically tear through a defense like the Colts if they don't have a pass rush. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's fine. Then I guess we're going to lose the division again. <laughs> God damn it. it! Was really depressing watching that game. That was the mo- that was like after that game. It was just like how. We already talked about Chuck Pagano. It's funny, though. Like Clowney, it's still a good question. How? How does he have a job still? Clowney's probably going to be cut, right? So, <laughs> No, I'm not saying sign him. But you already, you look at the Texans. They're, they're going to have issues also. Arian Foster, 
probably not healthy. Nah, they still have J.J. Watt and Nuke. It's all Hopkins. Like, you watch that offense, and it's really just Hopkins. It's literally just Hopkins. It's just it's, throw him the ball. This is, Next has, year has to be the year where Vontae Davis is just sat down and, and told, I don't care if he lines up in the stands with some chick. You are sitting in her lap. Right? Like, he doesn't leave her, him, it, whatever. Right? You're doing great, Greg. <laughs> I got it together. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. What were you going to say? I was trying to find out how many targets he had this year. I thought it was 200, but it was 192, which yeah, is still ridiculous. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one time the Colts lost Brandon Wynn? <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Sorry, I'm not over it yet. My apologies <laughs> for bringing it up. Remember when they got blown out by the Jaguars and every, all the Indianapolis riders were like, it doesn't matter because they're going to beat the Texans next week? Well, and then like, remember after, uh, during the last game how the Colts' Twitter account put out a tweet asking the Jaguars <laughs> for help when they could have just won the division themselves if they had shown up in that Jaguars game. Yes, but but how do you lose by 40 to the Jaguars and then just, like, casually pin, it's okay because you don't beat the Texans next... You just lost by 40 to the Jaguars! I don't think anything's a given. In fact, I'm more surprised that they found a way to beat the Dolphins than I am... That they lost to the Texans. I am too, actually. Yeah. They they played surprisingly well against the Dolphins, but that was mostly because defense played well. Yeah. And Kobe Cleaner had a long touchdown. Like there was there was a, a, a Dolphins defender tripped on a play, and the Dolphins offense is terrible. That was basically what happened. The the, the, the Dolphins are what happened when you take a slightly worse offensive line than the Colts currently have and a far worse quarterback than the Colts have, and you put him on the field and you say, do stuff, go, perform for me. Tannehill's just bad. Hey, so here's a question for you. Okay, give me a question. If the Colts hadn't spent, what, three or four million dollars on Hasselbeck this year, and it just signed Jarrell, not Jarrell, Josh, Josh. Freeman, or Ryan Lindley at some random point during the season, do you think they make the playoffs? I'm glad you brought this up because it's important that we have this discussion for two reasons. One, I really felt disgusted by the way they continued to use Matt Hasselbeck as if he was disposable. You, you I, mean the the corpse of Matt Hasselbeck. Yeah, like, was it three or four straight weeks where he couldn't finish the game due to injury, and it, and they still wouldn't rule him out of the season finale? Like, I don't know, guys. One more blood transfusion. I think we can get him in there. He was like, literally eating through a straw. Like, literally, actually. Weekend at Hasselbeck's. Like, it, they're just... You got Robert Mathis carrying him around. He's a, he's alive. He's fine. Look at him wave. Hello. 
I felt so bad for him, and I, I would tweet these things, and I wasn't making fun of Hasselbeck. I was very angry at the Colts for continuously, like, we got to make the playoffs so bad that we got to grind this guy down. If he doesn't, but he retire, wasn't their best chance to make the playoffs. That's the problem. Like, well, I don't if, know. if he's dead on the field, he's not going to be helpful. <laughs> well, there's some players on this team, though, that you could look at and go, well, maybe that's an improvement. <laughs> Yeah. Kyle. <laughs> Sorry, I'm too busy looking for old tweets. <laughs> yes, I see that. Okay. But I don't know if, if they have Lindley, I definitely think not. Freeman's interesting. Freeman looked like a quarterback to me, and I'm not sure why he wasn't in the NFL, at least as a backup. I don't know if they uh if they make the playoffs with him. All they have to, all he, all they have to do is win one game. So probably maybe they probably win that Texans game with him. The Colts should have won the Texas game in Texans game anyhow. You think yep. about how many points they left out there. Oh well. It's very I still think this is better. I think it's horrible from a from a team building perspective that they finished eight and eight. I still think that if you're drafting ninth or 10th, it's much better than draft drafting 18th. People will argue with me over that, but I don't know. Man, yeah, I wanted they, them to tank the end of the season so bad. I yeah, they wanted somehow them to did both things wrong. They didn't make it yeah. and they didn't tank. Like you have to do one or the other. You can't, be in between. But that was the argument for tanking, was that they weren't going to make the playoffs even if they tried, and if they did, it was going to be terrible. I mean, they would have, like, the Chiefs beat Houston, what, 30 to nothing or whatever it was? It was going to be worse if it was Indianapolis. Yeah. I mean, luck might have played. I'm with Greg on that point where I don't think it was going to happen, but... The the Colts, I'm assuming well I actually I don't know how it would work because the Oh no, I do know how it would work. The Colts would be drafting ninth, I think, if they had finished six and ten. Ninth. I like ninth a lot better than eight than uh eighteenth. So uh, it's just like it, you look at the Falcons. Do you think Falcon fans are excited about eight and eight? Or the poor Bills. Well, they were two and what were, weren't they like two and something last year, or four and something? Yes, they were very, very bad last year. So, I mean, maybe they're happy because it was an improvement. <laughs> You're right. I don't know. I just I hate eight and eight. Oh, special shout out to the guy. I think he did it to you too, Kyle, but I'm not sure. But I know he did it to more than just me. There was a guy after the very first Texans game, when the Colts won, and this guy was going through everyone's history, like tweeting stuff they said about why why the team shouldn't sign Matt Hasselbeck. Like, oh, quit, yeah, ha, ha, yeah, ha. yeah. Okay, so dude, this is why when you want to do the celebration dance, you don't do it in week six, <clears throat> okay? You don't score until you score... You drop the ball at the two-yard line, and now we got it on the 20 going the other way. Okay? You you don't dance. 
This is the exact argument, the the epitome of our argument against signing Matt Hasselbeck. Good enough to keep you out of drafting high, not good enough to get you into the playoffs. Right, and the whole thing was that, okay, well, if Andrew Luck is out two games, then Hasselbeck might be able to keep you afloat. But Hasselbeck kept him afloat in one of those two games. He was terrible against the Jaguars. Yep. And the thing, the whole thing was, if Luck is out for two games, that's just not – there's still time to make up for it uh, if he's only out for two games. If he's out for two games, he's probably more susceptible for injury. He was. He ended up being out the rest of the year. But I, I just – again, I'm still – I still think that we were – on on Hasselbeck and had Luck come back, it would have looked differently if Luck had come back and they would have won the division by the two games that they won, you know, when he was out or whatever. But that wasn't the case. If if Luck misses only two games and you forfeit those two games, which I'm a hundred percent on with you, that any quarterback wins the Jaguars game because they the Jaguars lost that game as much as the Colts won it. As, as more, much as I, more so. <laughs> right. Okay. I hate. I really kind of hate when that when they do that on ESPN. Who won? Who did they win it or did the other team lose it? But the Jaguars pissed that game away, and it wasn't because of Hasselbeck. But even if you forfeit those two games, but you give me luck back after those for the rest of the season, understanding that he lost the Patriots, Saints, and Panthers game, I still think they probably they they run the table going Jaguars, Texans, Dolphins, Titans. And I think that they make the playoffs because of that. So maybe the math doesn't work. Maybe they don't make the playoffs either way. But I don't think – but I, I know for a fact if you have a far worse backup, you're in a better position next year. Right. Which is what I've always argued. Quarterbacks just don't miss one or two games. Usually. Like, you look at the Steelers. How many did Ben miss this year? Uh, four? Four or five? And their backup is Landry Jones, right? Or Vic. But Vic didn't play either. He played for, I think, the first two games. I think they went two and two without Roethlisberger, but I don't really remember off the top of my head. So my point is, you, you spend that money elsewhere. You build a team so good that it doesn't matter who your backup is. British blog talk voice chick just said we have 90 seconds left, so 90 seconds. Do you think that Ursay was the reason that they had to spend more on a backup? Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I could definitely see it. That's why, I, I mean. Okay, hold on. Since we only have a minute left, do you think hashtag Chuck stay was the reason Chuck Pagano stayed? That hashtag is so bad. It's that- so bad. Even if it was a good cause, I would hate the hashtag because it's a terrible hashtag. But, but it was a bad think, cause. <laughs> do you think that's the reason? Please tell me no. Say no, please. Nah, it better be no. Okay. Because if that's the whole reason he's the coach, if my the only team I really cheer for in any sport, well, I cheer for two, but if one of them made a decision because of a hashtag, I've got to not ever again watch sports. Ever. I do know that the hashtag for when we want him gone, it's going to be hashtag upchuck. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's house cleaning real quick. 
I don't know if we'll ever do one of these again. I thought it was important to do this one. Uh, Kyle, you're you're moving on, and you have 10 seconds to not talk about that. We're going to go over. So if you're listening live, listen, uh, download, and listen to the next five minutes, I guess, because I I'm really bad at time management. And if you've listened to this show before, you know how bad I am. Bye. <laughs> and we're off. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Kyle, are you doing any writing anymore, or are you – I am no longer doing any professional writing, so I'm not getting paid to write, but I'll be probably periodically posting stuff on Colts Authority because I need, I'll i have an itch to, to share my my opinions, and I'll, I'm that kind of person, so I'll probably write things for CA for a little bit. Um, but I am, I'm moving on from professional writing, so I'll, other than that, not a whole lot. I won't be doing any, like, you know, really consistent podcasting like we have done in the past, but I'd probably be um, around if, Greg, you ever want to have me on. I know the uh, Draft Indie guys have talked to me about coming on periodically as well, and so I'll be around and I'll be on Twitter and stuff, but I'm no longer doing any kind of consistent professional writing. Okay. Um, Well, I don't write at all. And I don't think I podcast at all. So if you want to do something, we can do something. I don't know if this is the place to discuss it. Uh, Josh, you don't write or podcast. What are your thoughts? Sounds great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for Kyle. It sounds like he's really excited for what he's going to do. And it's. I feel like it's a really good thing that he's going into. So happy for him. I don't want to speak for Kyle, so I'll speak generally. Blogging, I don't know. It got this sort of like glamorous, I don't know, feel to it. I think people think it's awesomer than it is. It's a lot of work. It's really a lot of work. 50% of the people who read you like you sometimes. 50% hate you all the time. Like some people just read you so that they can tell you why you suck. Uh you get nothing for it. I don't know. Maybe uh, Bleacher Report pays $100,000 a year and I'm just out to lunch. But I don't think the... It's not uh, very... <laughs> it's not $100,000, play that much. I don't think the pay is representative of the work put in. And specifically speaking, uh, Colts Authority, which I think we all loved going into it, was... is such a pain in the ass from a development <laughs> standpoint. It's like, this isn't on Blogwin, and I don't think we're technically going to be there. I, so if this gets anyone in trouble, I'm sorry. But the the relationship with Blogwin, they'll, they'll talk to you, but I feel like it's after you've been married to someone for 60 years. Yeah, okay, I got it. Uh we had ideas like people would every day. Hey, this doesn't work right. Hey, you got photos that I don't know why. Hey, you got ads. Hey, auto playing. Yeah. Okay. We know we don't want our blog to look like shit. We, we know we're not idiots. We know there's a reason it looks that way. And it's not us because we're not, all, you know what we're allowed to do as for, to the appearance of Colts authority Nothing. Every time we made a change, 
we'd get an email. Why did you make that change? Well, because I removed an ad once. We're the ones who get the money, supposedly. I removed an ad. Why did you remove that ad? Every time I try to go deep, I have puberty. I don't know why that is, so I'm going to stop doing it. But it was really impossible to do anything. So Kyle and I would have long emails with them about it. That's a headache. Uh, fun fact, Colts Authority was started by four people. Nate, Kyle, Greg. There's a fourth person I'm not going to name because that person stole the name <laughs> To Blogwin for money, the Colts Authority name. So people are like, why don't you just go somewhere else? Because we can't. Like we we could, but we had we had uh eighteen to eighty eight, we had Colt Cider, and we had Coltzilla. All had an identity, but we all gave those up to go to Colts Authority, and then one person somehow made thousands of dollars off of our name and then what? sold that name to Blogwin. So we can't even take the name, guys. So if you're wondering why, Greg, how did you get on this topic? Because blogging, <laughs> like, if you if you if you're a Colts fan and you're emotionally invested in the team in 2011, and you're a, a blogger, specifically a Colts blogger, and you're invested in the team in 2011, 2012 was a punch in the nether regions, and then the actual trying to get work done is. Far, the energy put out far exceeds the pleasure derived. Like, magnitudes. You don't get anything from it. Even I could write things that were awesome. Like, okay, whatever. It doesn't get you anything. <laughs> it's just whatever. I I swear, Kyle and I have had a discussion before where I said, I know it. You are going to be picked up by football outsiders or someone like that. That's the only hope. That's that's the dream is someone reads your stuff and you are plucked from the pedal. The dream. That's it. So if you wonder why certain people no longer write, if you wonder why we find passion elsewhere, and I'm not again, I'm not speaking for Kyle. I believe passion existed already. But if there's a reason why passion in writing doesn't continue to exist, for the Colts, specifically, this might be why. Um, and I would also add that Colts Academy was amazing stuff. But you are also then talking about paying out of pocket. To I believe, I, I didn't really have much after the development, but I believe it was a negative income to run Colts Academy. Yeah. Like, at least with Blogwin, you're... It's a pain in the ass, but you're not paying money to do it. With Colts Academy, you're putting out professional content for the for negative. So if you want to know why people don't do stuff, that's why. <laughs> it was it was fun while it lasted. It was I was glad we did stuff like Colts Academy and I'm glad we did Colts Authority as well. Um and I'm I'm glad that uh, that Josh um, and Nate have have taken on bringing in new new writers and new blood to um, kind of infuse Colts Authority with uh, more energy over the last last year. It's been it's been really cool to see, especially over the last few months. Um, and I think for Greg and I, uh, I don't want to speak for you either, Greg, but um, there was 
there was definitely a time where um, where writing there there was passion in writing, um, but anytime you have something that you feel like you have to do, um, you know, it, it drains you. Uh, you know, it goes from a hobby that you do just because you love to talk about the Colts to something that you know you have a responsibility for and something that you know oh, I gotta have something up on on there, the website. There's a today. large difference between something that you want to do and something that you have to do. Yeah. Right. And so that's for me, that's, uh, you know, you've come, it's, it's an area that w- I wanted to do professionally. I mean, I wanted to do sports writing for the rest of my life. And I eventually got to a point where I realized that it, that's not what I wanted um, for a lot of reasons. And part of it being that it's draining, but I mean, there's, there's other reasons as well. Um, but, but ultimately I think we, even with all the frustrations we've had with Colts authority and with, um, you know, with, with technical deep difficulties on the podcast and with writing and with, um, you know, communication and whatever else it's been. Um, I think for both of us, Cold Story has been a, a positive experience. We had, our, you know, readers and, and listeners and everything else that had been just fantastic. Um, 50% of the people who read you might, you know, who hate you might be um, a good indicator for other websites, but I think for Colts Authority and for the podcast, it's always been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and it's made for a really a fantastic experience. Wow, you're you're so much more nice. So much nicer than Greg. Yeah. Well, you got to have the good cop bad cop thing. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. We should we should make a buddy cop movie then. It's <laughs> writing like this takes you from being a fan and makes it a job without any of the perks of a job. Right. I. And I, I read uh, George Martin. I've never read uh, A Song of Fire and Ice, and I've never watched A Game of Thrones. But I read his blog, and he talked about deadlines and how you can write, or how he can write until he gets a deadline. I was the same way. Like if I don't, if you just put me on Twitter, or you just put me with a friend and tell me to talk about the Colts, boy, I could type up a thousand things. But then you tell me I have to write something. Unless you can come up with a formulaic thing like, um, what is that? The pregame pancakes or whatever I used to write, where it had a very formulaic thing, and and half of it could be filled out without having to, to do any creativity. It's really hard to do. So to just to do it consistently, and it's kind of like that with the podcast, only I can talk forever, as evidenced by every time we've ever talked, but... I also get really nervous before a podcast, so it's not something I like to do constantly because nerves. I mean, I could I could research stuff and like for for a Twitter argument and tweet about things for hours upon hours, but sit down and do an article that'll take me an hour to do, and I'll be sitting there, um, you know, until five in the morning. <laughs> Your sleep schedule was the best. I would send you, <laughs> I would send you an email. And get a response at like 3 a.m. It's like, dude. I literally would like sleep from like 7 a.m. to noon every day for a while there. Okay. Um, So what that means for the future, which is how this started, is I don't know. It's a negative. It costs money to run the podcast at this level. But that's also something that doesn't really bother me if it's going to be like today was a good show. I, I feel it was a it was a good show, and if that's going to happen once a month 
I don't mind doing that or something like that, but just to do it regularly for people who want a weekly thing, I probably don't think that that's going to be the case. I also, I'm I'm not speaking to anyone. I'm just saying this as factual. It's hard to find people you want to do the podcast with every week or every month, whatever, not only from a, I like you standpoint, but also from a, I have chemistry with you standpoint. We've had other people on the show that I don't feel like has been as good because you don't have a lot of chemistry. Whereas with Kyle, I can speak, I can talk forever with Rohan. I can talk forever with Laura. It was like that. There's, there's people who it works with, but there's also people where it just doesn't. And so I don't know if that's something that you really want to explore either me personally explore. So if it happens, we'll let you know if it doesn't happen. Well, screw you. I was going to say it's been fun, but screw you work. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> no, no good cop, bad cop, just bad cop, bad cop. <laughs> and Josh will be at all the press conferences, even if he's not invited. All of our press conferences? No, all of Ursay's. Oh. I yeah, will never get, um, okay. I will never get over him trashing in like this ever ever yeah it's unbecoming I'm very bothered by it Napoleon took her say to the I mean gave him a Super Bowl and kind of pissed all over him so oh well I'm going to cry now who do you think gets in the Hall of Fame, Kyle? If Terrell Owens goes in as a first ballot and they stick Marvin with it again, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to. We're going to. Then that's when we're finally going to write this book. <laughs> it's been it's, supposed to have been been written for the last like four years. <laughs> if if that happens, the Hall of Fame kind of loses a lot of relevancy in my mind. I don't know what more you would want from Marvin Harrison. Right. He's the second best receiver of all time. Literally the second best receiver of all time. Also, there's this group of people, Colts fans, who, because Reggie Wayne signed a contract extension in 2012, have started talking about how Reggie... I love Reggie Wayne, and I also think Reggie Wayne is a Hall of Famer. I do not think that they are... are, are, I don't think Reggie Wayne is a better player. And I think that you're probably doing a disservice to Marvin Harrison. Yep. And Edron James should be in a Hall of Fame. I think that those two should definitely be. With with Tony Dungy, I think that there are off-field issues, on-field issues that don't... I think he should be in it, but I think that the issue is a little more... Yeah, don't laugh at me. I'm. <laughs> the issue is a little more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conceptual. I don't know. I like if you just look at his record in a vacuum, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. But I think overall, one Super Bowl is going to be hard for one Super Bowl. Right. But being the first African American coach to win a Super Bowl holds weight too. Right, and I that's why I think he'll get in. Mm-hmm. I I think it's definitely going to happen, but I I think that Edge and 
Marvin should be in this year. And I don't know why people Marvin are talking about sure. people are talking about James. Well, do you think James is a borderline? Uh, I think he should be in, but Harrison, it's a it's a lot more of a sure thing for me. Okay, then I'll buy that. Okay, I'm gonna stop keeping you guys. I just get lonely, and I like to talk about the cold sometimes. You've been gone for so long; it just all comes out. I looked, I looked because I had to set this up. Our last show was April. I remember it, but I'm waiting for this to load. It's taking forever. April seventh. <clears throat> How have you survived that long without talking for two straight hours? <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. In real life, I don't speak. So, April 7th, we had 3,000 listens. So, Thanks, I'll dial over there. Yeah. This episode should probably should probably break the 250,000 mark. Which is... If, if it doesn't, then we're definitely not doing another show again. Yeah, so we need well, we need one hundred two hundred and forty one listens. If two hundred and forty one people didn't listen to this, then if we oh, get you meant 5, total, 000... I thought you meant at once. Oh God, no! If I was getting two hundred fifty thousand listens at once, I'd this would be a monetized show. I would be making money, and I don't know something else. I, we, it, it would be a teamwork thing, not an I thing, but we would be making money and it would be monetized. <laughs> and Kyle and I wouldn't even be thinking about it because it would be so popular. Like, that that would be insane numbers. Okay. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, screw tune you. In to, to, <laughs> screw <laughs> you. And tune into all the other Colts podcasts. <laughs> I hear there's tons of them. I told Kyle this story. I'll tell it real quick. I went, I set up the episode yesterday and I went to go set up the music. Kyle and I used to do pretty, not good, not, not extensive, but used to be okay with the audio side of things. We'd set up things like I edited an opening once that was pretty, I don't know, difficult for me. And Kyle would put on interviews and stuff. So we had a, an extensive list of audio stuff attached to the podcast. So I go on yesterday and they had deleted all of our audio clips, which means this was no longer attached to the show. If pe- for people who have been following the show and listening on Twitter, I don't know the name of the song anymore. I bought the song <laughs> like five years ago. So I was like, ah, what am I going to do? We don't have any music. And I only had a day to, to steal someone else's music. And I didn't know what I was going to do because you want something catchy. So then I went through emails with Kyle and I found an email I had sent Kyle like two years ago with the edited version of the song we made. And I pulled that out and put it And the the audio is still, it sounds like it's been used and abused for five years. So that sucks, but I'm just thankful we had it. It was a fitting way to have this podcast. Okay. So Laura is still on. (laughs) Laura is still listening somehow. She called in. Before the show started, she's listening. She's tweeting about the after. <laughs> I don't. She's at. A, I think she said she's in a conference call. So let's really fuck with her. Hi, Laura. How are you? Fine, Greg. How are you? <laughs> yeah. No way. No. How are you guys doing? Hi, Laura. Hi. Okay. 
Oh, that's I'm I'm good, thanks. Uh, are you still on a conference call? Yes, I'm very busy. Okay. Can't you tell? Yes, I can. You sound very busy. <clears throat> Swamped. Okay, well, good good talk. Uh, well, I, hope, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. Loved it. I really miss uh, listening to your show, Greg. Our show. It's not me. It's not about me. I might do 95% of the talking, but that's because I have an ego. And I'm conceited. Okay, I miss the show, <laughs> Greg, Josh, and Kyle. And <laughs> me when I was part of it. Well, don't include Josh. Josh is, he didn't even go to the press conference. <laughs> I'm worthless. Josh, next time you go to a press conference, how much money do I have to pay you to take like a sign that says like so, like uh, fire Ursay that you hold up during the press conference? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, very many monies, because I I'm certain that I would never work another Colts game again. What if but you, you just were- like? You you held the sign and you didn't show the sign, but then at, at some point during the press conference, you just like flashed it in front of the camera. <laughs> Ooh, what if you write then it? On I a w- piece? Then I would also not work anything else besides just Colts games because then my employers <laughs> wouldn't hire me anymore. So I've got it. You write the sign on a piece of like eight by eleven paper, and then you tape it to the back of Bob Kravitz's shirt. <laughs> And then you leave. (laughs) (laughs) All right, maybe on that one. Yes! We're going to make this happen. Okay. Very, yeah, uh, Laura, I tried using Shazam and all bunch of other tools. The song, it it exists. I swear, it was like some anti-establishment government song. And I can't, it was on the podcast safe network. And I've gone through every song one night. I just stayed up until like three in the morning clicking on every song. Because obviously you only need five seconds to hear the riff. Yeah, exactly. It's the greatest song. Whoever they are, I want them to know how amazing they are. I should post it to Reddit or something and just say, hey, anyone know what this song is? Because Reddit knows everything. I'll post it in Gone Wild, and I'll see some naked chicks at the same time. Okay. <laughs> well, well, that was a good way to end. <laughs> on that note, I know why my stand-up career... <laughs> Gosh. All right. Uh, have a good day, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I love you. I love you, too. Oh, no, I know. Wait, are you going to play the song? I am. You want me to play the song? Yes. I, okay, I thought you were... That's better. All songs Bye. Bye.